Hey everybody, I feel quite silly because back in September, I promised you podcast listeners that I would be taking the Weekly Rotto Recap Show, cutting out just the portion that talks about new games that are coming that I'm very excited about, and giving them to you like bi-weekly, every two weeks, you would hear on the uh, podcast feed about a bunch of new games that I have discovered and that you might be interested in as well. And then, I went on the road. And we've been on the road ever since, and I promptly forgot that I promised I was going to do that. So, a little late to the party, but since then, 17 recap episodes have aired. And, on average, I would say there's probably five games in every one of them. So, I'm about to talk to you folks about, what is it, 17 times 5, let's say, on average. I don't even know how many games. Um, and it's just going to be me taking the recap section, or the, the game section, the new upcoming game section, of each of 17 recap shows. So, the jumps between these shows are going to be a little weird, but if you just want to hear about well over 100, I don't know, 200, somewhere between 100 and 200 new games that I think are amazing and you might want to know about as well, then sit back and get comfortable and have a pad of paper and a pencil ready to make notes, because all of these, you can learn more about them on BoardGameGeek. All right, folks, again, my apologies, and in the future, I shouldn't have to wait so many months to get these out to you. Here we go. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. But now it is time. I promised I have a bunch of games. What is it? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight new games I discovered. And actually, I should say I discovered like 20 games that I put on my wish list, but these are the eight that I thought were good enough to make it into my, oh, I've really got to check these out wish list. Alrighty. And I'm going to do them in countdown format from my least excited to my most excited, like always. So without further ado, let's get going with number eight, West Story, a town building game. Now, I don't really know the designer. I don't really know the publisher. It is a game set in the American West. It is city building. Uh, there's some pictures of the prototype. It looks it looks nice. It's hard to say. You know, it is very prototypey. These pictures, fair enough. But what intrigued me about this was a quick little throwaway line. Um, While all actions from the player boards uh, eventually get executed, the order of execution is not easy to predict. You'll have to place cards carefully and try to maximize their chances. I don't know what that means, but I am very, very intrigued. Uh, you know, some idea that there's some outward force that's saying, what do I actually get to do from turn to turn? And I have to set things up with my and hedge my bets as for, oh, is this actually going to happen now? Then I better be ready for it. Is this driven by an event system? Is this driven by player choice? I don't know. But that was a very... Uh, way to go, publisher. I mean, even with just one paragraph, you dropped enough to get me in. Sometimes, a par- uh, you know, a publisher's right, you know, up half a dozen paragraphs and say nothing of interest, but with just that one sentence, West Story, a town building game, really has me intrigued and I want to learn more. Number seven on the list is Moving Day. Unfortunately, uh, there's no real um, visuals I can show you here. 
The designer's interesting. Mads Flow, I very much enjoyed his, what was it? Oh, Shake That City. I thought that was very cool. But what really gets me intrigued by this, again, is a well-written um, description that does a good job setting the stage, but also clues me into the fact that, as near as I can tell, this is an entwined drafting game. You know, like Cascadia, um, you know, which is, you know, entwined drafting is fast becoming my favorite mechanism of all time, and I love how it seems to be uh, done here. We are trying to help friends move. We've got, everybody has their own truck they're trying to load. You want to get the heavy stuff, the heavy boxes on the bottom, because if they're on the top, they'll crush the smaller boxes. And every turn, you are going to have to draft a set of boxes of different sizes and weights, and people capable uh, friends capable of loading those into the trucks and that sounds really cool it sounds it just sounds fun and entwined drafting is always excellent so I'm looking forward to seeing what Mads and um, uh, Paintink uh, come up with there Right, number six is Newsboys. The latest from Sashi and Sashi. Sashi and Sashi always knock it out of the park with really interesting, quirky takes on interesting and quirky subject matter. And this one is about uh, turn-of-the-century Newsboys running around Manhattan trying to make a living in what looks like a very fun and colorful roll-and-write game. Um, so... You had me at Roland Wright from Sashi and Saucy. You had me at Newsboys. Remember Newsies? Does anybody else remember that movie? But anyway, what really intrigued me, though, is and what makes this game so incredibly timely in the United States is there is an equal focus, it seems, in the design on actually delivering the papers to all the different um, venues and developing routes and all that. But also, there is a focus on striking to demand higher wages. That's incredibly cool that they brought that a uh, you know a you know a, a power to the workers message into this game you know which is always kind of again does anybody remember Newsies uh, anyway Newsboys I am excited about but not quite as excited I am about Floresta now this is interesting because the designer um, uh, uh, Zemek uh, Wojciak. Anyway, I just, just this week, I mentioned earlier, we finished playing uh, Printing Press, and both Jen and I loved it. And then I saw years ago, he did The Sanctuary, which was a phenomenal worker placement game, and Traintopia was a really cool tile layer as well. So I've never really paid much attention to him before, but I'm going to pay attention now, because he seems to be doing great design after great design, plus I'm really drawn into the environmental activist uh, story. This is about forest management. Management, trying to replant trees that will create a sustainable ecosystem while also making it resistant to forest fires and dealing with forest fire spread. So I expect great things from um, Floresta, even though unfortunately I believe there are no images yet. But hopefully Mebo Games will be getting some of that stuff posted soon. By the way, folks, there's links for every one of these games down in the show notes. Uh, you can go to the, uh, what do you call it, the Board Game Geek page like I have. And as you can see, you can subscribe like I have. So as more information comes out about these games, you'll find out about it. Okay, next up, number four, Islebound. Emerald Edition. Who knew Ryan Lockett was going to revisit one of his great classics, uh, Islebound, which is a game about um, you know uh, being a privateer in an archipelago, 
doing pickup and deliver stuff, fighting um, the good fight, uh, conquering territory, doing privateery, piratey type stuff. And I always thought the original game was very, very good. It's really less of a pickup and deliver, and it's really more of kind of a worker placement game where your pirate ship is your worker, and you, um, you wherever it is, you can move up to two spaces, or you can upgrade your ship, and all kinds of stuff. I covered it many, many, many years ago. I think it's great. I've held on to it all these years, but it might be time to think about upgrading to Emerald Edition. Now, right now, there's almost no information other than the fact that one of the core resources of the original game, books and knowledge, have been replaced by emeralds. Now, here's the deal, folks. If I had one complaint about um, the original Islebound, I was less than excited about combat being roll to resolve, rolling dice and hoping that it activates your different you know, um, crew and monsters who follow you. I don't see dice rolling anywhere in the description here. Uh, do I? I do not think I do. Um, there is still the combat. Fingers crossed he's come up with something other than dice rolling for combat, or a more interesting version of dice rolling, if nothing else. But, you know, Ryan Lockett is a greater designer now than he was seven or eight years ago. So I can't wait to see what he's doing with revisiting uh, one of his all-time greats. Okay, number three um, is Cascadero. And actually, this is kind of a tie. Number three and number two are Cascadero and Cascadito, both from publisher Bitewing Games uh, that really got off to a good start last year with Trailblazers, which I thought was absolutely fantastic. And I hear Zoo Vetus is good too. I haven't seen these other ones. But Cascadero and Cascadito are designed by Reiner Knizia and um, with art from Ian O'Toole. This is proving to be a really, really great combo. Um, one of the great designers and one of the great artists working together. And I read a, spent a little bit of time reading the designer diaries, and this seems like it is the um, the uh, heir apparent, the spiritual sequel to one of Reiner Knizia's all-time greats, Through the Desert. Look at this and tell me it doesn't look like Through the Desert. But it seems like it's got a combo of Through the Desert wonderful route building with really, really cool pieces. I assume those aren't camels. Maybe they are. But over here on the right side of the board, you've got progress tracks that really remind me a lot of Planet Unknown. And so the combo crazy, um, you know, progress track manipulation combined with brilliant um, classic Reiner Knizia uh, through the desert. Yes, please. And then, if it's going to be one of the best-looking games of the year with art from Eno Tool, even more so. And if all that weren't enough, um, you know, at the same time that this is going to be launched on Kickstarter later on, or GameFound or wherever, they're doing two games. Because um, Cascadito is a smaller, bite-sized version of the game that is in roll-and-write form. No pictures. I think there were some pictures. If you uh, go into the forums, you'll find some pictures in the... Uh, you can see I was reading the... What do you call it? the designer diaries. But if you want the big full experience or you want a facile playing bite-sized version of it in a half an hour, Cascadito and Cascadero. I'm going to call them tied for number three and number two. Very, very exciting. And both of these actually, I think, are really screaming up the hotness on Board Game Geek 2. So I'm not alone in being very intrigued by these. But folks, my number one most anticipated game I learned about 
has to be the sixth realm. Why? Because it's one of my favorite hot uh, you know, designers of the moment, Matt Dunstan, teaming up with one of my favorite designers of yesteryear, Seth Jaffe. Uh, you know, the designer of Eminent Domain and Crusaders and stuff like that. We haven't heard from Seth much ever since uh, Tasty Minstrel sadly passed on, where he was a developer and designer, but he is back teaming up with Matt Dunstan um, to make a tiling fantasy world exploration game. And there's a lot of stuff here about the setting and whatnot, but what really intrigues me is the promise of the mechanisms where we are laying tiles, I believe, because it says it's a tile-laying game in the mechanisms, as we explore the sixth realm. But the other five realms of this fantasy world define what we can do because every round, one of the realm, one of the, uh, whether it's the Merchant Guild, the Builders Guild, the Adventure Guild, the Navigators Guild, or the Scribe Guild, is going to be in charge of our expedition. And that means every round, we're going to have a different set of actions we can do. And I don't know if um, the different guilds or the different realms are ascendant based on player choice or some kind of event, or maybe it's a queue, but I I really like this idea of uh, of tiling, one of my favorite things of all time, driven by a constantly shifting landscape of different uh, actions that we can do from turn to turn. And then to see Seth Jaffe come back. Oh, by the way, did I mention with art by um, the, the Miko, the Micho, uh, and uh, Final Frontier Games? I'm excited about all this stuff because Final Frontier also does amazing productions as well. Sadly, no pictures, no art, no nothing, but you had me at Matt Dunstan and Seth Jaffe, and then uh, constantly shifting actions based on um, you know ascendant and descendant guilds. I'm really stoked for my number one most anticipated game, The Sixth Realm. And that's it, folks. Did that sound like fun? Now I'm going to do a countdown of one, two, three, four, five, six new games that I think you might want to learn more about. Maybe even go to BoardGameGeek and subscribe to them like I did, because they all look pretty cool. What are they? Well, in countdown format, number six on the list is The Great Harbor. From, um, you need to be watching for this Italian publisher, Acrona Games. I have been definitely impressed by their stuff. I thought Pest was great. Uh, more recently, I did uh, 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 Philharmonics. I thought that was fantastic, as did Jen. And they've got a bit of information about their next game, about building the Great Harmor uh, of Carthage. And what pulls me in besides uh, Acrona, which are now a developer that I watch because I've been impressed by their stuff so far. Oh, you know, it's Dice Worker Placement. I love me some dice worker placement. Unfortunately, I think there's no images yet other than the very pretty looking box cover. But, you know, their other games have had really nice production values. But uh, a crunchy, meaty dice worker placement game about building the Great Harbor of Carthage, that sounds... That sounds like catnip to me, and I have, I am optimistic for The Great Harbor. Then, they're not done yet, folks. Uh, they've also got information about another game, building the greatest Roman city in tile placement board game, Magna Roma. And this one looks very, very cool to me. And it does have a bunch of images. And it is all about tiling, trying to match the symbols of your tiles uh, on the corners so that you can unlock different meeples that you can use to spread around the city. And I really like the idea that different tiles have different shapes. I, I can match uh, a circle tile to another circle tile, and that will generate one type of person. But if I match a circle to a triangle, that will produce a different type of person. And so I think this goes 
a bit above and beyond. Uh, let's see, I think there were some more cool pictures of the game a little bit later on. It was a bit above and beyond the uh, normal tiling of just trying to get the right tiles next to each other, but getting these different um, shape matches to get the types of people I need. And then also using those people to trigger different stuff, like being able to build big monuments all over the place as well to again house those people and whatnot. Again, folks, the publisher is great. I love tiling. I especially love tiling that really kind of comes at it from a different angle. So I am definitely intrigued by Magna Roma, which I've already had in my wish list. I realized I didn't subscribe. I have subscribed to it now as well. Did I subscribe to Great Harbor? I want to make sure because this is how, folks, you keep up with games. You go to board game, you find them, you subscribe to them, and then you just use your notifications and you'll find out new things about them as they come to light. Anyway, though, oh, number four. Spaceship Unity Season 1.2. I love the idea of Spaceship Unity. I never got a chance to play it, but apparently it did well enough that it's getting an expansion, and that's fantastic. What is this game? It is basically a science fiction cooperative. We're trying to make sure our ship makes it and finishes the mission, our spaceship, uh, you know, Star Trek style, but all of the gameplay comes from not moving pieces around on a board, but using your entire home as a spaceship. And it's so full of really cool, clever, outside-of-the-box ideas. And um, I've never got a chance to play it. I definitely want to play it. And I hope to get a chance to, especially uh, since it seemed to get enough attention that it's got an expansion coming. So that makes me very, very excited. At some point in my life, I will get a chance to play Spaceship Unity. And heck, maybe it'll be Season 1.2. Alrighty. So, what about number three on the list? Millennia. This is actually a game that's crowdfunding on Kickstarter right now, and it looks fantastic. And I want to mention it for a couple of reasons. One, hardly a week goes by, almost hardly a day goes by, that I don't see people um, in the board game sphere complaining endlessly about, ah, all board games are now are endless, big, bloated, monstrosity, 300 plus dollar things that are incomplete and half-baked and blah, blah, blah. And I keep saying, that's wrong! That's a very, very tiny, tiny minority of the games that run on Kickstarter. Millennia represents what the vast majority of games are that you can get excited and back, and I'm excited for this. This is a civilization-building game that you can get for like 30 bucks. That's it! That's what you see if you look beyond the headlines and beyond the hype. There's so many cool games. But anyway, I'm excited for this one um, because it, well, I mean, because it's on Kickstarter. So there are several different videos about it. And, um, oh, right, right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm particularly interested because once you play a card to your civilization, it's going to give you some type of power, but only for a certain amount of time. Because, like, um, you know, true technological breakthroughs, over time they get obsolete and get replaced with other things. So I love this kind of idea of an engine building game that goes in fits and spurts. Oh, I got these things, but sooner or later they're going to break down and I need to be setting up my next generation of things that I can leverage. That all sounds very, very cool. It seems like it also has a very Care Bear friendly approach to Warfare, very similar to um, the original Seven Wonders, which I'm very excited about as well. So I am loving Millennia. 
Um, and I cannot wait to learn more about it. That was number three. Now, number two is an odd one, The Way to Juliet. When I first read about the description of this, this is a two-player cooperative game where we are not Romeo and Juliet. We are the other characters from the play trying to help ensure that the two of them can have their fated meeting at the uh, balcony. And so Romeo is trying to get through a maze of the, uh, the guards. What is it? Capulet? Romeo is Montague? No, Romeo Capulet? Romeo Montague? I don't remember. Anyway, uh, he's trying to get through the guards. One player knows where the guards are. One player knows how Romeo can move. And the two players have to work together. One person trying to advise Romeo, um, moving blind, trusting that the other player will get the guards out of the way uh, by sliding them around. It's kind of a sliding puzzle kind of thing to try to get over to Juliet before time runs out. And I think that sounds fantastic. I'm really, really intrigued by this. I love imperfect communication co-ops. I think this sounds like a really charming little game. Plus, the art style is charming too because, oh, they're all little doggies. They're anthropomorphized dogs. So that's nice. The other other thing that I thought was really fascinating about this game has to do with the democratization of game development that I love we're seeing. Because a lot of people are now just making their designs and putting them out as print and plays, especially roll and rights. But some people, like uh, Vasily uh, Runitsky, he put his game on Tabletopia. And everything, if what I just talked about sounds interesting to you folks, you could be playing this right now for free on Tabletopia. Um, because all you gotta do is just uh, create an account if you haven't already and fire it up and uh, get somebody else on another computer and the two of you can play this game and I look forward to playing this with Jen for free right now. And I think more folks should be using tools like this so they can get their game up and at them so that you could then demo it for publishers and get them involved because I think this game sounds really, really cool. And I am definitely looking forward to uh, giving it a go. My uh, number two, The Way to Juliet. And I'll put the link down in the show notes for the actual Tabletopia page so you could try it out for yourself right now and let me know in the comments what you think of the game. Alrighty, folks, but there's a number one. There can be only one, and my most anticipated new game I learned about is Port Royal the Dice Game. Push your luck in this new spinoff from the popular game Port Royal. And yeah, a new Alexander Fister game? Of course I'm there, folks. I'm very, very intrigued by this. Although, I have to admit, at first I assumed, well, Port Royal was already a push your luck card game. It's just, it's just going to replace cards or dice with cards, and I kind of know what this is going to be. Am I really that excited? But then I looked at the back of the, unfortunately, only in German box and said, this looks nothing like Port Royal. There's a map of the Caribbean now, and looks like we're pushing luck in a completely different way. And I suspect probably it looks like it's a roll and write as well. So Port Royal, the roll and write. I can't say for sure because I'm not going to spend the time trying to dig back into the recesses of my um, high school level German to read the back of this box. Box. But again, it's an Alexander Fister game doing a roll and write on one of his most beloved smaller games makes me very, very excited for my number one most anticipated game I discovered this week, Port Royal the Dice Game. And that's it, folks. So let's get going with the countdown, starting with a number five, Archaeology or Archaeology. Archaeologic. Archaeologic. Oh, that's a tough one to say. Um, now, I have to admit, 
when I first looked at this, I saw, oh, a deduction game. Jen and I were kind of over deduction. We're just not that into it anymore. And so I moved on. But then, um, last week, I filmed uh, designer Johan Levitt's Humanity, and I thought it was so great. I was wondering, what has Johan Levitt been up to? Ever? He did Miramis a million years ago. He did Turing Machine more recently. What's he been up to now? Well, um, Humanity is phenomenal, but I suddenly got very excited about Archaeologic, which, again, is a deduction game about, you know, uh, trying to lay down polyomino tiles and figure out in secret using deduction where all the treasures are and all that. But the thing is, this game comes with a really cool spinny gadget. And remember, Yolan Levitt is one of the people behind... Um, Oh, shoot. I've just forgotten the name of it now. Oh, Turing Machine, which is one of the most brilliant, uh, you know, clockwork puzzle mechanisms turned into a puzzle-generating machine. The industry... No, not one of the greatest one the industry's ever seen. And he's made another one now. Uh, and he's built an entire game design around it. So, yeah. Uh, while Jen and I are not that much into deduction anymore... I'll give this one a try. Archaeologic, because of the designer, Johan Levitt, seems to be on a massive comeback tour. So I definitely want to check this one out from Ludonaut. That's number five. Then we've got number four, Restart. Um, free Totem uh, Game Studio. I don't really know them or the designers, Vangelis, uh, Ethemisiu, and Antonius Yiannopoulos. I don't think so. Uh, those are Greek names, aren't they? Have those designers done other stuff? Oh, Age of Rome. I did not. I did not play that. So they've done Age of Rome, which I know was very, very successful on Kickstarter. But I haven't seen that. But why am I interested about this? Because I love games about time travel, and this one has a few key things that I think are very interesting. You have in your hand multi-use cards, and on your turn uh, during the meditation phase, you are either going to play those cards to your mind board because traveling through time is fracturing your brain. And you need to kind of get yourself centered and under control. So you can use the events to try to um, find calm in the storm, I guess, uh, which actually uh, functionally gives you access to different actions. So you can use these cards to get different special actions. Or more importantly, you can play these cards out to a grid of cards on the table that represents the timeline. And you're playing them to overwrite historical events with other historical events. I love multi-use cards. I love time travel. So I'm really interested to see how these things come together. Plus, not for nothing, the cards look really great, although uh, it is, I mean, there's no actual gameplay, just pictures of the art, but it looks very, very nice. One other thing that really intrigued me about this game is, of course, you are changing time and you're changing the future, and that affects everybody. But after the game is over, this is a really fun twist. Whatever state the world, the future is in, you can say, oh, you know what? Next time we play, we're going to pick up from there. We're going to say, oh, well, you know, we need to create a, the robot apocalypse. All right, next time we play, let's start with the world in the state of a robot apocalypse and see how we can change time and maybe we'll end up in a perfect utopia and we can keep playing until we create utopia. That's cool. That's a fun idea, taking it to the next level with number four on the list, Restart. Okay, then let's talk about number three on the list, Pharmacology from George Jaros, uh, uh, GJJ Games. This game, man, as I was reading the uh, description for it, it blew my mind. It is a dice drafting roll and write game, but uh, you know, let's talk about what's in the description. Drafted dice can be used to power locations to generate workers, medical supplies, resources, money. Uh, can be used uh, to power other locations to research drugs and vaccines so you can treat diseases to earn points. Outreach programs provide abilities that further increase your um, potential. Oh man, where was the list of all the stuff you do in this? Oh, here's where it is. So you're using dice specifically. 
specifically to collect samples, um, use and upgrade locations, hire medical technicians, doctors, scientists, develop drugs, vaccines, gain benefits through outreach programs, treat diseases, uh, increase the size of your workforce, boost your score by specializing certain disease classifications, quarantine diseases for easier research, and use profits to buy medical supplies, dice rerolls, additional resources, and more. And more! Jeez Louise, I have to admit, I am interested in the subject matter of making life-saving drugs, but also making an economic engine out of it, too. This looks like it's got to be one of the bigger, heavier rolling rights that we are ever going to see. There is so much going on, and the way the draft works sounds very, very neat, too. Um, But... The other thing that really um, uh, jumps out at me about it is this was just a little independently developed game, and originally he did it as a print play, and he's now got it available on Game Crafter. Game Crafter games cost a high because they're print on demand, so it's not cheap to get this, but man, I hope people, I hope the industry, somebody in the industry who watches this show, go check out this game. Buy a copy of it from Game Crafter because I want to play this game. It sounds phenomenal, and I think it's deserves a live day, especially because it won the 2017 Manhattan Project Dice Game, um, which was put on back in the day by Minion Games. Um, James Matthey, one of the greatest people board gaming has ever had, and we sadly lost him a few years ago. James Matthey loved the game, was a huge proponent of it, and um, you know, and I wouldn't be surprised if this game would have already been put in print if, sadly, James Matthey had not passed on. Board game industry... Rolling rights are a big deal. Super heavy rolling rights are a big deal. Rolling rights with really cool, fresh themes that we haven't seen a lot of are a big deal. Somebody needs to check out my number two, Pharmacology. Or I'm sorry, no, that was my number three. My number three. My number two is another rolling right, much lighter this time, Silver and Gold Pyramids from Phil Walker Harding. Now, Silver and Gold, he did a few a couple of years ago, and it was pretty well received, uh, particularly because it was a roll and write where we we're doing bingo style, or it's not flip and fill, right? We're drawing cards, not rolling dice. But um, you know, the the cards that come up say how we actually mark stuff on the cards themselves, which I admit we've seen other games do it, but that was just a lot of fun drawing on my cards, knowing I could erase them all at the end. The problem was the original silver and gold had a couple of really, in my opinion, horrible design decisions that kind of ruined it for me and Jen. You know, throwing in a memory element and the way turn order was resolved was really needlessly complicated. So anyway, he's coming back with a sequel, and I am hoping, hoping, hoping that they have gotten rid of the memory element of the game, so you don't have to remember what's been played and what hasn't been played, and that they've come up with a new way. I mean, I'm, I'm excited, because again, Silver and Gold was fantastic. With a couple of tweaks, it could have been one of the all-time greats, a GOAT, and maybe uh, the sequel, Silver and Gold Pyramids, will be it. And folks, one more game, my number one, um, and this one's kind of a cheat. It's really kind of half an entry. It's Jump Drive Terminal Velocity. Now, this has already come out a while ago. Uh, it's a wonderful expansion for one of the greatest modern card games of all time, Jump Drive, and it just adds a lot more stuff. I've already talked about this in a previous roundup, and the existence of this um, expansion, Terminal Velocity, already had taken Jump Drive out of my top 60 games of all time and pushed it into my top 30 with its addition of you know objectives and uh, you know extra tiles and all kinds of fun stuff, you know, including a really cool campaign solo experience if you wanted to try that out. Here's why I'm talking about it today, even though you know I've already talked about it months ago. I stumbled across in the forums designer Tom Lehman putting out his draft rules to turn this into a cooperative game. 
And here they are right here. I cannot wait to try this. Because the last time Tom did this, he turned Dice Realms into a co-op slash solo game, and it was phenomenal. And it so improved the game. And so now, for the first time, uh, Jump Drive with the expansion Terminal Velocity will be playable as a co-op. And I am there for it. Uh, This, I suspect, is going to take Jump Drive out of my top 30 and put it into my top 20 best games of all time. And I just wanted to spread the news. If, like me, you are a Jump Drive or a Tom Lehman or a Race for the Galaxy Universe devotee, then folks, Jump Drive just went co-op. And that is awesome. And that's it, folks. So, If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Let's take a look, uh, starting with uh, one of several games from publisher Devere. Devere, man, they are on a stra- uh, you know, a, a, I was going to say catastrophic, but st- a stratospheric, a stratospheric rise. Uh, Red Cathedral um, and uh, you know the White Castle. Bamboo looks really, really cool too. And I've got, I think they just uh, put into Board Game Geek like over a half a dozen new games that are coming for them uh, next year. And they put box art and whatnot. And um, of all the ones they did, here's the ones that I really wanted, um, starting with uh, Daitoshi. I'm excited about this because it's from designer Danny Garcia. And after Danny worked on... um, Oh, what do you call it? Barcelona and um, Arbor Arborium. Danny is a designer to watch. And this game is set kind of in a, um, you know, era of industry, but, you know, kind of quasi-steampunk world because you're working on the great machine and all that. But it's really focused on, you know, trying to use steam to get more electricity into more houses, but also dealing with the environmental devastation that can be brought about by the Industrial Revolution. Something that we did not do enough in our real world, but in this world, because uh, they, it talks about how there are uh, you know, forest spirits that we have to pay attention to, we are actually trying to reforest as we go. A timeless message for today, you know, set into what could have been in our, um, you know, our own society's past. I'm, and plus, again... Arbor, Arborium and uh, oh, his other one, uh, Barcelona, were amazing. So I can't wait to see his third game, Daitoshi from Devere. Then we've got Cities, uh, which is such an amazing team up between Phil Walker Harding, the busiest man in board gaming, and Steve Finn, the king of the filler. These two guys working together are making it looks like a tile laying game all about city building. There's not much information, unfortunately, but you had me at a team up between Steve Finn and Phil Walker Harding. 
one thing that's interesting though, the description talks about how there's like eight different cities around the world, which, you know, there's not much detail, but it sounds like, oh, maybe there's eight different setups, whether you're making Tokyo or London or, you know, wherever it might be. I am definitely keen to check this out though. Cities. Then there is Salton Sea from new designer uh, David uh, Bernal. Very interested in this because just the subject of the Salton Sea is fascinating to me. For those who don't know, the Salton Sea was an artificial lake created by accident, you know, uh, back at the turn of the 19th century. And over the decades, it became a uh, wealthy resort town for rich people to leave Los Angeles and have fun out in the desert. But because it was created by accident, eventually the lake dried up. The industry, the tourist industry went away and it became really just kind of a toxic, sad, barren wasteland. But in recent years, we have discovered it's also a potential huge source for lithium. In case you don't know, lithium is basically uh, one of the major keys to our green future. So, in the real world, there is now a race of investment for people trying to, um, you know, turn, uh, you know, a, build a new industry out in the Salton Sea, mining for lithium to basically make all the batteries that can help um, sustainable energy flourish for a better future for humanity. And uh, I am really, really interested in this subject matter because it is so interesting and so timely. Again, very little information here, but really, really fascinating subject matter. Again, coming from from Devere, so you know it's all but guaranteed to be great because, man, whoever is working internally at Devere to make sure their designs are well-chosen and solid, they're do- they need a raise, quite frankly. But Devere is not done yet. We've got Rock Hard 1977. Uh, this is fascinating to me. <clears throat> it is a game about being an up-and-coming rock musician, you know, uh, putting on tours and um, you know, recording in the studio, writing songs, promotion, all of that stuff. Uh, but what really makes it interesting is it's designed by Jackie Fox, who is one of the members of the '70s band The Runaways. Uh, you know, the band, uh, you know, uh, was it Cherry Bomb? You may have heard that song. That's The Runaways. You know, and uh, The Runaways, you know, spawned you know um, Joan Jett's career and Lita Ford. Um, sadly, Jackie left the rock and roll industry under hugely tragic circumstances, but she never let it define her life. I think it's amazing. I had no idea. She became a four-time Jeopardy! champion, uh, became a game designer, uh, the uh, Adventure Trilogy, the Adventures of Chubby Slugs. So she's gone on to have a a rich, meaningful life outside the industry, but now she's like reclaiming it, coming back and making her first board game design. And who better to make a board game design about the life of you know hard rock and roll than someone who lived it in the 70s. Uh, rock Hard 1977 is very, very intriguing to me because of that. Okay. And then, oh, last, uh, Sand was really interesting as well. Now, after I put this at the bottom of my enthusiasm list for these DeVere games because uh, it's a pick-up-and-deliver game, right? And that's one of my least favorite experiences or you know, genres. But occasionally, pick-up-and-deliver games can surprise me. And uh, this one certainly looks cool. I mean, all there is is the box art. The box art looks really, really neat. And uh, it's uh, set on a Dune-esque planet where instead of giant worms, we have giant caterpillars that we are using to basically pick up goods and deliver them from one outpost to another. The thing that really draws me in, aside from the art and the really, really cool you know, quasi sci-fi fantasy setting is the fact that the uh, description talks about how you have to care for your caterpillar and it glow grows in power and strength over the course of the game. So while I don't care for pick up and deliver, I do care for games where I 
uh, you know, I'm responsible for the health and well-being of a living creature. We see that very, very rarely in games, and maybe Sand will find a new way to get me excited about Pick Up and Deliver. So like I said, folks, and there were a few other games that I put on my wish list, but further down, because they look more like kids' games and whatnot, but again, Devere looks like they are going to have an amazing next year. But I'm not done yet, folks. Uh, I also discovered Graffiti is coming from Queen Games, and this, Board Game Geek says this re-implements Fresco. It does not. I have looked at this game. I have read the rules, because I'm probably going to be covering it when it starts crowdfunding. Um, it is from one of the designers of Fresco, and I would actually call it more of like a spiritual sequel, because instead of set in Renaissance era, and you're a Leonardo-esque uh, painter trying to do the Sistine Chapel esque type location. We are modern day graffiti artists trying um, with the city's permission. I think that's really, really cool. We are not, you know, outlaws or anything like that. We, uh, one of the big things of this game is as graffiti artists, we have to invest in all our paint. We have to manage our resources and because paint is expensive, we have to get permits from the city to work on these big epic um, graffiti murals in this tunnel. Um, and so it, it, it's a worker placement game that uh, borrows some of the ideas from Fresco, but it takes out the, uh, what do you call it, the simultaneous worker action. So it's really its own thing. It's not, uh, you know, it, it, like I said, it's a spiritual sequel to Fresco. It is not Fresco uh, re-implemented. Uh, I disagree with Board Game Geek on that. But I'm still really interested because of the focus on, hey, um, you know, the day-to-day the -day logistics of being a graffiti artist are here as much as the art. Plus, as you do more and more with graffiti, these murals start, um, you know, growing. You flip tiles and they become really, really gorgeous. And there can still be some of that rebel outlaw feel to it because one of your actions is, you know, in addition to the permitted work you're doing, you can put your own tag on different areas, which will unlock bonuses for you, and it will also contribute to an area majority bonus uh, game as mini game that's going on as well. So I am definitely very intrigued. I uh, cannot wait to check out Graffiti, the spiritual successor from one of the designers of Fresco. Okay, then we've got, oh, Time Division. This is one of the games I discovered, which I totally totally ignored up till now when I was doing my deep dive in the Ramble I mentioned earlier in the show. Uh, this is a two-player only game um, from Heidelbar Games. Uh, Alexander uh, Schreiber Here's the deal, folks. Uh, this is a game where we very quickly draft some time travel cards, um, you know, and then we've got cards in our hands, and each player of the two players is simultaneously going to pick one card to play. Both cards get revealed, and one of the two players is responsible for deciding which one of the cards um, that everybody benefits from in terms of the action it does, and which one of the cards everybody benefits from in terms, or you know, one player benefits from in terms of the uh, influence it's spreads. So you and I, even though we're competing to, you know, across time um, with this time travel uh, card game, um, I'm playing cards that you might choose, or you might choose your own that you played over mine. And that just keeps, uh, you know, uh, going back and forth. We both pick a card, but then one player chooses how the both of those cards are resolved. That's a really cool idea, and I would very much look forward to Time Division for that reason. And the last one, folks, we're almost done, is another one I discovered during the ramble. Roll for the Great Old Ones, a roll and write game. I have to admit, you know, Cthulhu is not a uh, subject matter that pulls me in. It doesn't turn me off, but it's just, you know, I could take it or leave it. But it seems like there's been an explosion recently. We've had some of them on the channel where, oh, it's all about the nihilistic view that, yeah, our world sucks, so let's just play a game where we're cultists trying to bring about the end of the world and, you know, bring... And I'm like, 
come on, can we be a little bit more optimistic? Can we be a little bit more bright? Can we go back to fighting Cthulhu monsters rather than embracing them? And that's what Roll for the Great Old Ones does because it is a cooperative game where you're trying to you know, stop the uh, Ancient Ones, as we should be trying to do, and it's a roll and write. And here's the deal, folks. I've been begging the industry for cooperative roll and writes. We've got so few of them, and everyone I've played has been so engaging. So I'm looking forward to another one, especially one that looks as big and crunchy and spreadsheety is this one. Uh, you don't expect all this kind of stuff with the Cthulhu thing. But then the other thing um, that was really, really intriguing is um, it is a roll and write. So we're rolling dice. Each player is going to grab some of the dice from the pool. That determines you know what we're going to be able to do each round as we fight the uh, old ones. But the dice we don't pick, those are the ones that Cthulhu will take. So we're having tough choices of, hey, what do I want to do? What do you want to do? And what are we going to leave behind that means the bad guy will get to do this? Now, I think this is a brilliant system for dice-driven cooperative play. How do I know that? Let's just say I have some personal experience in this arena. Um, you may have heard over the years that I've been dabbling a little bit in game design on a certain uh, uh, you know, fantasy Pirates of the Caribbean style game. Well, um, that's kind of the basis. I, I can speak from personal experience. This is a great way to do cooperative gameplay driven by uh, dice because I've been working on this myself. So I'm very, very excited to see another game do this, uh, which is why I'm very, very excited for Roll for the Great Old Ones, a roll and write game. Phew. Okay, folks, I am still excited about these. Let me tell you about them. First of all, oh man, folks, this is a big deal, I think. World Order. Now, this is from the same folks who brought us Hegemony, which was a brilliant, asymmetrical uh, Euro-style game where each player represented a different uh, faction within the class struggle of a given nation. You know, you were either, you know, the capitalist class or the working class or the middle class or the actual government itself. And it was a brilliant fusion of Euro-style, fun, solid gameplay, but also real-world academic theory about the interplay of all these things. And it was amazing. Well, the folks who did that are back with a new game. In World Order, we're not just focusing on the internal politics of one country. Each player is a country on the world stage. And unlike uh, Hegemony, which was very abstract, it never really said where we were or anything, this is set in our modern real world. You could take uh, the reins of China or the United States or a European nation or you know somewhere in the Middle East, and you could make choices that will change the world. And... Uh, it's doing the same thing that Hegemony did. Where they say it here? Mixing thrilling gameplay with academic theory. And I love that. A diplomatic power, economic strength, military might, everything comes into play, which is why I'm very, very interested when we start to learn more uh, for the 2024 game, World Order. And then the other game that really caught my fancy, a smaller thing, it's Ticket to Ride Paris. Now, in case you don't know, Ticket to Ride, well, it's been around forever, and it's always, you know, uh, 45 to hour long game, but the last few Ticket to Rides have been express micro games where you can play the entire Ticket to Ride experience in just about 10 or 15 minutes, and I love it. It is hard to go back to regular Ticket to Ride. New York was great. 
Um, we loved the London one, the second one, so much we kept it. And I mean, that's pretty rare for us to keep a lightweight gateway game, but it was just so good. The third one, I, wa- I want to say it was Amsterdam. I don't remember that, or I, didn't, I haven't played that one. But now the fourth one, Paris, each one of these introduces new gameplay elements to the Ticket Ride formula. This one talks about special um, red, white, and blue cards that uh, play a special role. It doesn't say anything yet. I'm just throwing it out there, folks. It's coming next year another Ticket to Ride. I imagine by uh, by the time this comes out, I will have finished Ticket to Ride Legacy, and I'll be ready to go back to some quick, snappy Ticket to Ride, thanks. And this might fit the bill. And that's what I've got for you, folks. And uh, we are Dunsville. What are they? Let's get going with my most favorite, my most anticipated, Windmill Valley. This is the next game from up-and-coming design superstar um, Danny Garcia. He blew me away with Arboretum. He blew me away even more with Barcelona. And I expect in the new year, in 2024, he's going to blow me away with Windmills. Um... Which is interesting. This is a lightweight game with quick turn, smart action selection mechanisms. Sounds like it's using uh, Zolkin-esque spinning wheels that represent the windmills. There's, there's a description of it. And if you want to know more about it, uh, I believe Board uh, Gaming Rambling mentioned it in one of their essence. They actually saw a demo of it, and so you could actually see this in action. Right now, all you can see is the admittedly gorgeous-looking uh, box art. Um, for Veldos uh, Mios or Mio, but or um, Windmill Valley, but yeah. Again, Danny Garcia's third game, and this is second co- um, collaboration with Board and Dice as well. So, an economic farming game about windmills, where the windmills are rotating, creating different action opportunities. Uh, very, very excited for that. My number one most excited thing, in fact. But I am also almost excited about Spiritfire. This is going to be a third game from Orange Nebula after Vindication and Unsettled. And I thought uh, Vindication was was really, really good. Unsettled was amazing. Best of class, top 10 of the year category. And now their third game, um, Spiritfire, I only just discovered about. I kind of slipped between the radar for me, but I'm very excited about it because it talks about in the description here that this is, you know, they kind of liken it to a um, a video game, massive multiplayer online game, like you know, World of Warcraft, where you're traveling the world and having adventures, and it's all uh, it's less about the story of the world and more about the story of you and your character and all the um, you know the encounters and adventures you have. But what's really interesting, character development, crafting, and discovery, they say straight out, where is the word combat? To emphasize this vision, there is no combat. Uh, we do find conflict, pressure, suspense with other types of challenges. Uh, you know, with, including the tensions we f- face deep within ourselves. That gets me very, very excited. And epic uh, fantasy adventure game where you never fight or kill anything. Instead, you probably run around helping things and solving problems and all that. So I'm very, very excited. There's not that much about gameplay. They actually have, on Board Game Geek, a trailer that's kind of vague and talks about, hey, you're getting a bunch of cards and rolling dice to activate the cards that that represent you and whatnot. Uh, I just noticed, right before I was filming, that Alex of Board Game Go just put up an interview with them literally this morning, just three hours ago. So I haven't watched this yet, but if you want to know more about Spirit Fire, you might want to start there with Alex and the gang from Orange Nemula. Very excited for this one. 
But I'm not done yet, folks. I am also very, very excited for um, Batab, Guardians of Chicken Itza. This is a re-implementation of Ahau, Rulers of Yucatan. And I've already talked about Ahau several times, uh, you know, including in that, uh, uh, was it, my top 12 innovative worker placement games video that I talked about earlier. I believe Ahau made the shortlist for super innovation. And so they're taking it, but um, moving it uh, to Chicken Itza. And um, like Ahau, I imagine they'll do just as much deep dives in you know actual cultural interaction with the people of the land, bring them on. But more importantly, it's interesting, they take the, uh, the renowned system of Ahau and streamline it into a seamless worker placement experience. So they're taking the worker placement, but changing it and doing a 2.0. And considering how amazing a how was, I've really got to check out Batab or Batab. I'm very, very excited for that. And we have to wait till 2025, um, but I'm sure it'll probably be crowdfunding in early 2024. Uh, but anyway, like I said, I have subscribed. It is on my wish list because a how is amazing. So I'm very excited for its follow-up Batab. Okay, then, oh my gosh, Dice Realm, trade expansion. Tom Lehman is just getting started. I mentioned in Dice Realms how this is basically Dominion, but with dice instead of cards. And like Dominion, Dominion is so powerful and uh, you know impressive because it's gotten so many expansions. Are we going to be seeing this with Dice Realms as well? Here comes its first expansion uh, with new dice types, new die faces... Um, you know, new events. And also, I mentioned before how he'd been working on co-op play. It looks like that co-op play is now going to officially make it in here. I don't know if that means it's going to get more iterations. I already thought it was brilliant. But now we're bringing the uh, cooperative and solo version of Dice Realms into boxed product. So that's going to be very, very cool. And it says 2023. Are we going to see it before the end of the year, Rio Grande? I don't know. But Tom isn't done with Rio Grande because he'll also, supposedly this year, but time is running out, bring us winter court, where you use your diplomacy skills to gain favor in the royal court. Two, uh, Two-player-only game. Diplomats plotting to advance their agendas during winter in a medieval court confined by bad weather to a single castle. Honestly, I don't know why, but that sounds really, really interesting to me. That sense of claustrophobia and the walls closing in and we can't get out and we're trying to scheme to work our way up uh, you know, with politics. Tom Lehman is a brilliant designer. When he works with Rio Grande, I mean, I'm very, very excited for whatever Winter Court might be. Two more, folks. Algae Inc. The next game coming from Game Brewer. And, you know, they are really... You know, ever since I think I, the first game of theirs I played was Gugong. was phenomenal. And they've just been producing fantastic... Fantastic design after design after design. So whatever they've got coming next, I'm interested in. Especially if it's a game all about a smarter ecological future for humanity. One where we are using algae for bioplastic and cosmetics and biodiesel. And so we are startup companies trying to save the planet. And um, so a game that puts these kinds of ideas. We don't need any more games about pumping oil. Sorry, peak oil and other games. I want to see games about this, about our future, not our past. And if it's coming from Game Brewer, so much the better. Algae Inc., watch this space, folks. Like I said, subscribe to it. Put it on your wish list. I'm excited. I can't... Either it's so far out where there's no pictures, there's no nothing, but this is going to be great, I bet. And then finally, a little game, Desert Bloom. It's a web published game from uh, Deserto... Uh, 
Uh, Florido, I don't know. This is probably just a design he's come up with. Maybe it'll never see the light of day. It looks like it's going to be a print and play, maybe. I'm just interested because I love card layering games, and my wife loves flowers. So cards full of beautiful flowers that we're laying together to try and make a big old patchwork thing. I am interested. I am excited. Uh, uh, Desierto uh, Frito, hopefully it's great. Just thought I'd mention that too. Smaller game after all those big ones. But anyway, folks. That's it. First of all, um, oh man, how do I even pronounce this? <laughs> We've got Pax Maleficium, I think. Pax Maleficium, Fall of the Witch Hunters. I've never played any of the Pax games, and um, but this one sounds really interesting, where players are working to put an end to the Salem Witch Trials. Um, you know, bring calm, uh, you know, stop everybody from going into a bloodthirsty rage and saving uh, women's lives. Um, and, uh, you know, it can be played cooperative. It's a competitive way to play, a solo play, and a cooperative, which I think I would very much like to play. The the box art looks beautiful, and so I am really intrigued by that subject matter. You know, real-world history that Ion Games is known for. Uh, let's see, then we've got Ancient Knowledge Heritage. I had a chance to cover Ancient Knowledge, and I passed because... Uh, you know, there's a not insignificant portion of the cards in the deck, and this game looks so brilliant, this civilization building game, but there's a bunch of cards that are really just needlessly take that. Stealing stuff, you know, why? I don't need that stuff. So anyway, this new Heritage expansion, which I think will be coming out early next year, um, most importantly, replaces those cards with new, um, different ways to interact, and I'm very excited, you know, taking out the cutthroatedness while adding a bunch of new other stuff as well. So I am excited. You haven't seen Ancient Knowledge on the channel yet, but you will once Ancient Knowledge Heritage comes out. Let's see then. Oh, man. We've got um, Recreation. I'm excited by this mostly because the designer, um, Pavel Adamachuk, did... Um, oh, what was it called? Minakshi Temple, which I covered a few months ago, and Minakshi Temple was lovely. Both Jen and I were super-duper impressed by that game. And so... Uh, this is going to be his follow-up design, and I expect great things. And Jen's phone just went to sleep, so I got to try and hold it with my finger to get the fingerprint on. Okay, I got it. All right, so anyway, uh, recreation, all about, I guess, set in the far future. There's really almost nothing other than the box art. There's really no description here, but apparently uh, artificial superintelligence is trying to bring Earth back, um, you know, as you do. And uh, so I'm excited about that, but again, mostly uh, to see what Pavel's next design is. What else have we got? Oh, okay. Oh, Factory Inc. I am a huge fan of the original Factory Inc. And even more so, it's a sequel, um, what you, smart, um, factory, uh, Smartphone Inc. And then Mobile Markets was the sequel. Now, um, they've got a third game in the series, Factory Inc., which is going to be different. Apparently, it's a polyomino tile layer. You know I love that. It says in the description there's something to do with... Um, uh, route building, so probably poly probably we're trying to make a Amazon fulfillment center. I'm assuming with uh, you know conveyor belts. Who knows? Oh, I see gamers are starting to show up back there, heading in. So I got to get ready. I got to get this done. Anyway, though, Factor Inc. Excited. Sadly, no pictures at this point. I'm sure we won't be seeing it for a while. But anyway, oh, and then lastly, Aquatica Coral Reef. 
Aquatica is phenomenal. One of the best engine building games out there. The Cold Waters expansion was a wonderful addition. And so I expect very, very cool things from Coral Reef. Again, not much in the way of specifics what's there. The description does say something about how we will now have game-changing manta ray encounters. So we'll finally use those mantas for something more in the game. And apparently, they'll change the game. So anyway, folks, that is it. So let me tell you about them. For starters, uh, let's go into a bit to Babel, which I don't think there's really any pictures of it other than the box art, is there? Nope. Um, whenever I do this, folks, you're hearing about games way early. Way early than you'll generally hear on any other channel. Um, because I just, as soon as I find them on BoardGameGeek, as soon as they entered into the database, even if they're not coming, well, this one doesn't come until 2024. I'll still tell you about them so you can find them. Links down in the show notes. And subscribe to them, like, as you can see, I have done. Anyway, though, why am I interested in Babel? It is a challenging cooperative card game where no one speaks your language. I love this idea. I love cooperative games that are all about limited communication. We have to figure out how to get our ideas across to our teammates who are working with. And the Tower of Babel, where nobody speaks the same language, is brilliant. Because on my turn, I don't do actions. Instead, I give issue orders to my teammates telling them what to do. But the problem is they don't speak my language. Or at best, we have limited communication. And I think that sounds like an absolutely awesome idea. We're basically trying to complete building the tower um, uh, before all idea decks have run out. Um, you know, and so there's actually a fair bit about the gameplay here, but you had me at limited communication, especially when it's so strongly thematic that in and around the Tower of Babel, nobody can speak the same language, which is why we are. Um, oh, I mean, it sounds really, really cool. Very much looking forward to that. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Also, what else? Oh, Tiny Epic Cthulhu. How has this taken so long? We've had Tiny Epic games for almost a decade now, and only now are we finally getting the TEC Cthulhu. And um, so I'm interested because I generally tend to really be drawn into Tiny Epic games. Uh, you know, the wonderful series of games from um, Scott Alms and uh, Gameland Games. So, you know, some of them have been, you know, some of my favorite games of all time. And I'm really interested in this one because it is cooperative. Hoorah! Uh, most Tiny Epic games are competitive. Sometimes they can be fairly cutthroat, but this is a co-op one. And so I'm excited for that reason. And I'm also excited because it is a bag-building game. So a cooperative bag-building game. Again, most bag-builders are competitive instead of cooperative. So I am definitely very, very intrigued. Um, and I cannot wait to learn more about Tiny Epic Cthulhu. Let's see, what else do we have here? Oh, we're not done talking about Cthulhu. Cthulhu Dark Providence. Now, this is interesting because it is a remake, a reimplantation of an old Martin Wallace classic. Well, you know, 
Oh, it only came out like six or seven years ago, right? Is that classic SAS? Regardless, Study in Emerald was such an amazingly brilliant, bonkers, off-the-wall game from Martin Wallace. My problem with you go back and watch my original run-through, I respected the heck out of it, but I thought it was a terrible two-player game because so many of the features just pretty much went away. But this uh, new re-implementation brought to us by Cool Mini or Not and Travis Chance, I mentioned him earlier, see, everything's dovetailing back together, teaming up with Martin Wallace to re-envision, give it a new lick of paint, uh, give it a stronger Cthulhu, uh, you know, uh, thematic element, and bringing in solo play. And if they've actually turned this into a potentially solo game, I got to assume that makes the two-player game much, much better, which is why I'm super stoked. If you want to know a little bit more about it, folks, go and watch the uh, extended edition of the R&R &R &R show because Travis talked a bit about working with Martin Wallace and trying to turn a famously high-player count game into something that works well at lower player counts. And um, that's not all because if you go to Board Game Geek, there is a video interview with Travis done by... Uh, Mark Maya here, and I think, yeah, he shows, if we can bring this up, come on, Starlink, he actually shows some of the, uh, you know, the elements and some of the art and whatnot, so if you'd like to know more about it, there is more information to be found on BoardGameGeek, again, links down in the show notes, so I think that's it for Cthulhu stuff today, but I've still got two more games, one of them, oh my gosh, Winter Rabbit, a semi-cooperative game set in the world of Cherokee folk stories. You had me interested at celebrating, um, you know, the indigenous Native American culture and bringing their folk stories to life in board gaming. So that's already very, very interesting. Plus, uh, it talks about in this description here the fact that it is a worker placement game where we place hidden workers. I don't know what that means, but I'm definitely wanting to check it out. And in fact, folks, you can check it out uh, if you scroll down here. Um, what is it? Uh, um, Joel Eddy. Uh, did, has done a series of videos about games that have been entered into this year's Zenobia contest. And the Zenobia contest is famously a um, place where designers, you know, can, you know, submit their designs that focus on, um, you know, you know, uh, diverse voices and, you know, marginalized voices, you know, bringing, you know, uh, new developers who normally don't get a shot. That's what the Zenobia Awards is all about. And so Joel has been doing a series of videos about the Zenobia Award nominees this year. And it turns out, I believe Winter Rabbit came in second place. So there is a lot to recommend. I need, this is on my to watch video. I haven't watched yet, which is why I didn't put it in my to watch section, but I figured y'all, hey, two birds with one stone. I have an extra video for you to watch this when you, week when you learn more about Winter Rabbit, which sounds very, very cool. Okay, and then one more new game. And um, okay, I almost didn't put this one on. Diora, manage a production plant to show who is the best. And folks, there is nothing. There is no description. It just says it's a worker placement game that lasts five rounds. That is it. And that's not enough for me normally. But amazingly, there are tons of pictures of this game on BoardGameGeek. And I gotta say, the pictures look really nice. They make this game look very attractive. And um, so I, I, I'm a sucker for a big, complex board game with a lot of moving parts and very colorful. It actually looks like it's dice worker placement, which they don't even mention in the description on BoardGameGeek, obviously, or oddly. I do not know why they kind of skip on that. But 
Um, oops, there's the button. But I, I honestly, I'm just going based on the screenshots. This game looks like it could be pretty cool. I love dice worker placement. I wish there was more information about the game go. Uh, so I kind of put that at the bottom of my list. But again, I have subscribed to it. Although I broke my rule, this one I gave a four to thinking about it because there's just not enough information. But I've subscribed, so when they eventually post rules, I'll take a look at it somewhere down the road. Anyway, though. Let's go with the big one. The big fish has got to be Diablo, the board game. And now, sadly, there is very little in, uh, in, uh, information here as yet. I mean, practically nothing on BoardGameGeek. I went actually to the webpage, and all there is is, hey, we're starting our crowdfunding for Diablo, the board game in 2024, and... We're going to be great. There's going to be dark fantasy, and there's going to be inner struggles and narrative depth, and and practically nothing. This says nothing other than just showing you the box. So actually, while this is pretty, I'm going to go back to the board game geek, which is less pretty. But there are a couple things of note. First of all, I should say, I played the bejesus out of Diablo one and Diablo two, and so did my wife. This is long before we discovered board games, and we played tons of cooperative video games together. Uh, that has been replaced. You know, board games have completely supplanted video games for us. But I think both Jen and I have a soft spot for Diablo. Stay a while and listen. You know, is something we still say to each other to this very day. It's part of our vernacular. And law hardcore Diablo fans know what I'm talking about there. Anyway, though. Um, Right. Uh, so, the Audible board game, there's a couple things that I was able to tease out of this board game geek entry. One, the mechanisms. Cooperative, role-playing, scenario, missions. You get pretty much what you'd expect. They didn't mention dice. Now, a boy can dream. And I'm sure there's going to be dice rolling up plenty in this game. How can there not be? But if this has deterministic, massive waves of enemy combat, you know, myth without the baggage of myth, color me excited. I am very, very interested uh, if they decide to do something other than, you know, cool mini or not style dice, uh, dice-a-thons. They probably will, but I'm cautiously optimistic because they could have put it here and they didn't. It's so easy. There's no reference to mention of dice anywhere. But there's another thing too. Diablo the board game, along with its direct companion tabletop RPG system, will fuel one another with interchangeable game components, shared accessories, and complementary expansions with overarching element events from a fully integrated product line. That's fascinating to me. Now, I could easily guess what it means for, hey, if you like the tabletop role-playing, buy the board game and you'll get a lot of miniatures. That's pretty straightforward. But what I'm interested in is, how does stuff from the tabletop game, the you know the role playing game, the Dungeons and Dragons style experience, make it back into the board game? I don't know, but I want to know. I could guess. I could say what I hope it is. What I hope is, you know, a tabletop role playing game is all about giving players tools to create their own adventures. What I'm hoping is that players, you know, dungeon masters or whatever they call them in Diablo, um, hell rule, I don't know. Uh, hopefully, they can take their adventures and port them into the board game. So that you kind of have like a thing going on. You know how Isaac Childress of Gloomhaven fame just makes tons and tons of free content that he gives away? Extra missions you can play in Gloomhaven and Frosthaven and all that? Maybe uh, the Diablo system will get like, players and dungeon masters, or again, whatever they're called, do that. That would be amazing. I don't know. It's too early to say. There's very little information. But again, I had to mark this and put this on my wish list because I'm a diehard Diablo fan. And there are some interesting tidbits there. All right, what else have we got? Okay, another thing where there's nothing to show, but I'm excited 
it anyway, the Isle of Cats Explore and Draw Boat Pack. Oh, baby. Isle of Cats, the Explore and Draw, is unique in that it is in, I think, my top three greatest polyomino tile layers and also my top three greatest um, uh, uh, roll and writes. This is one of the rare games where, hey, we've got a big successful game that everybody loves. Let's turn, let's make a roll and write version of it. And usually those are nice and interesting. They play faster, but they're nowhere, they're never as good as the original. For my money, Isle of Cats Explore and Draw is superior to the original Isle of Cats. So you can imagine how excited I am that it's getting its first expansion. The boat pack with new boats, with new layouts, and who knows what. I'm excited, folks. Uh, cannot wait. And then I've got one more to talk about. Meeple Inc. Now, this is very interesting. This is a worker placement game set in an alternate 1970s where board games are the most popular form of entertainment in the world. So there's a major industry for making board games. And I guess that is true. That's not that alternate. The weird thing is, it's a world where meeples coexist with humanity and meeples are the workers and humans are the managerial class. I don't know if there's some kind of uh, sociology statements being made or socioeconomic power dynamics. I don't know. Or if they just thought it was cute. But the important thing is, what I know from the gameplay is very, very interesting. This is a, an industrial, you know, uh, gather resources to produce a product and make point style game. I generally tend to love those. One about a board game manufacturing industry, especially interesting because the components. Um, when you're making your board games, you get these little boxes that represent the games and you have to fill them with, the, with pieces that represent the actual components. Is this a dice-driven board game? You're going to put a die in the little box. And when you get all the components in there and you close it, you then put it up on a shelf to score it. Oh, it seems adorable. So the production looks like it's going to be very, very cool. The worker placement, I believe this is one of those ones where you send out a bunch of workers and you have to spend time calling them back. You've got your meeples that do work on the factory floor, but then you've also got um, you know, the executives who sit around a table and un give you special powers and whatnot. So, I mean, I, I could be cool. But um, you know, I, I have to admit, I'm mostly here because of the components. But there is one thing that is very, very intriguing to me, um, which is basically, if I can come back to the description, it says it in here somewhere. I'm not going to look for it. Oh, here it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, offers a novel take on worker placement, where players are rewarded for paying attention to and predicting the action of their opponent. Now, here's the deal, folks. I've read the rule book for this. I'm evaluating right now whether I'm going to cover it for the channel when it goes on crowdfunding. I'm kind of positive about it, and so is everybody else. I, I think Shay said yes, I think Ruel said yes, I think Kimberly said yes, I don't know if Amy and Maggie have said yes, but um, from reading the rules, here's what I understand. This is a game where you have to spend a time recalling your workers, and when you do that, you also play some cards face down, and you're betting on what you think your opponent, what worker placement spots your opponents are going to do uh, before you then have to recall your workers again. And then you drag it out and try to get as much done and hope you anticipated where your opponents are going to go so you can get an extra payday. That's really fascinating. I really like that idea a lot, which makes me very, very interested And in putting on the wish list Meeple Inc. And folks, that is it. Um, before I spoil uh, the Brother Murph's entire top 10 countdown, first of all, this is the one I'm most excited about, City of the Living. Although I'm also frustrated, not at the game, but at Board Game Geek. As much as I love Board Game Geek, this is something, one of the things that drives me most nuts. This is um, a remake of a game that came out, gosh, uh, 
like um, probably almost a decade ago. It was designed by Reiner Knizia teaming up with Sebastian Bleasdale, who is the co-designer on uh, Keyflower, one of my 10 favorite games of all time. And of course, I know you know who Reiner Knizia is. And I played and covered Prosperity all those years ago, back in, what was it, 2013? Um, and I thought it was great. I had a couple of problems with it. A new publisher has picked it up. Trick or Treat Studios have picked it up from Astari Games. They've rethemed it. So it's no longer about um, you know, building a sustainable future. That's one of the things I loved about Prosperity. Back in 2013, nobody else was covering this subject matter. Nowadays, we see lots of games coming out about you know, green future and you know, sustainable energy and keeping pollution down. I mean, there's like two or three games a month, but this was way ahead of the curve back in 2013, and I really liked it a lot. Of course I would. It's such an amazing design team-up. I had a couple problems with it, mostly to do with the production of it, and I'm hoping this new version, because it's been picked up, it's been rethemed to be a zombie survival game, of all things, although trying to save humanity from, you know, our imminent doom, uh, you know, by, with a green, by pursuing a green future, I can certainly see overlap between trying to survive a zombie apocalypse and trying to get to a better future as well. So I can see how the themes overlap. But anyway, it's now called City of the Living. And the thing that drives me nuts is... It didn't get its own entry. If you actually go to City of the Living on Board Game Geek, you'll see a whole bunch of pictures of prosperity. And um, you'll, uh, you'll see a long description of the setting and gameplay of prosperity. And that's just got to be so confusing. People are looking at, hey, is this a game about zombies? Then why is it all about energy production and ecology and um, you know, research and money and all this stuff? They, board Game Geek... You're being silly. Come on. It's a new game. Even if it has the same mechanisms, anybody's going to think this is a new game. But regardless, I love Prosperity, so I'm super excited to see the game come back. Especially, fingers crossed, if this new version does a couple of very simple things that could fix my problems with Prosperity, I would so love to get this to the table. I have to admit... I would have rather they kept the uh, the original, but you know what? Heck, back in 2013, zombie games were all the rage, and um, you know it was weird to have a game about you know trying to bail, build a better future for humanity. Now it's kind of flipped. We see very few zombie games these days, and we see a lot of games about um, green futures. So. I think there's kind of a, a fun, uh, you know, symmetry to it. But anyway, very excited. Cannot wait to learn more about um, what is it? City of the Living. Oh, whoops! I that doesn't fit the screen at all. I meant to flip over to this. There we go. Does that fit a little bit better? Oh, I thought I'd set this up better, but I have clearly failed in every way, folks. It is hard filming on the road. You understand. But anyway, let's just continue on. You'll forgive me. Next game I want to talk about. Isle of Cats Treasure Pack. I think in the last recap, I mentioned there's a new expansion coming for Isle of Cats um, Explore and Draw, the greatest tiling, um, or one of the greatest tiling and roll and write games of all time. Well, it's, um, you know, it's Big Brother. Uh, Isle of Cats is getting expansion too. A whole pack of new replace. You pull out the treasures from the original game, and you put these new treasures in. That if you can get the cats, you get them and get the cats next to them, they unlock a whole bunch of new special powers. So Isle of Cats is still awesome, and it's getting even awesomer with that particular expansion. Then we've got Dogville. Keep your pack of dogs active with careers and activities. Their joy is your success. Uh, it's a self-published game from a first-time designer, I think. I don't really know much about it. There's no art, but hey, if this is a game about dog rescues... And this game really seems to focus on the um, 
the, the features of all the different breeds of dogs and how you can try to make a good pack of dogs. And it also focuses on dogs um, you know, to be happy and have well-rounded lives, doggy lives, they have a se- they need a sense of responsibility, jobs they can do. And so I'm really intrigued by the subject matter. And the game promises 50 unique uh, purebreds and mutts, uh, each with custom breed-specific traits. So that pulls me in right there. Uh, I don't know much about the game. It's, uh, you know, there's really not that much hit said here. But, um, you know, the subject matter pulls me in. I think it's a nice contrast to Isle of Cats. Uh, well, hey, what what compares to that? How about Dogville? Then there's oh man, I don't see. I haven't seen anybody else talk about this. The crew is coming back. We had the crew Quest for Planet Nine. Then we had the crew um, Undersea or Deep Sea. Well, you know the, when they went underwater. Now it's the crew family, where um, it's a Swiss family Robinson style setting, where we are trapped on a deserted island, playing the same crew, cooperative, imperfect communication, trick-taking system, but brought to a whole new setting, and I am super excited. The uh, other crew's were phenomenal, and um, you know, the, you know, the second one, the undersea one, improved on the first one, the deep space exploration one. So I expect, hey, hopefully history repeats itself, and this one becomes the best of the bunch. I have to admit, it's certainly a very attractive subject matter. You know, literally Swiss Family Robinson style setting, a family trying to survive. I'm, I'm really intrigued. Cannot wait to know more. There's not much here yet, no pictures, but you heard it here first, folks. In 2024, the crew is back, baby, and hopefully it'll be the best one yet. Okay, then what have we got? Oh, we've got How to Save a World. I'm excited because, hey, Burn Island Game puts out a new uh, game. I'm excited about it. And this one sounds very, very interesting. It's a sci-fi setting where there's an asteroid approaching a heavily populated planet. And players, through worker placement, are um, trying to save this planet. And there are three different plans. There is build a laser and blow the asteroid up. Um, build a shield that will protect the planet from the uh, asteroid and or evacuate. If those other plans don't work, get as much flora and fauna saved from this uh, verdant, lovely world, this alien world. And uh, players really focus. Am I going to focus on this or that or the other? And that's pretty much all we have right now. But that's really good subject matter. You know, three different ways to score points represented by, thematically by these three different ways to solve this big catastrophe. Sounds really, really cool. And again, Burnt Island Games, they, they have not gone wrong yet so far. So again, uh, this is a 2025 game, so I'm breaking the news way early. I'm sure we'll see crowdfunding for it probably in early 2024. Hey, Burnt Island Games... Call me. I'd like to cover this. I am a big fan, as you know. Uh, and I can't wait to see how to save a, a world. The last one I'm going to talk about today, folks, is Metro Runner. Um, this one is from Stephen Kerr. Oh, but, I mean, I don't know Steve, uh, Stephen Kerr, but I do know Thunderworks games. You know, um, the, you know, everybody loves cartographers, but for me, it's all about role player. And hey, they're leaving the role player universe behind for once. They're going into um, uh, Blade Runner cyberspace, uh, you know, uh, 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 what do you call it? Netrunner, Neuromancer, you know, future hacker type stuff. And that's really cool. That's a Brave New World for them. There's another nice sci-fi reference. And uh, it promises Rondell gameplay. And I love a good Rondell. Especially if it does something new and cool and interesting. I expect they will because Thunderworks generally does very, very good designs as well. And so I'm excited to see what that is all about. 
And that's it, folks. Okay, so let me uh, fill you in on them, starting with the biggest of all the deals, Anno 1800 de Erweiterung, which is a very, very uh, smartly named expansion. Uh, de Erweiterung is the expansion uh, in German. So the first expansion for Anno 1800, which honestly, as far as I'm concerned, is probably designer Martin Wallace's true magnum opus masterpiece. The best game he has ever designed, or certainly at least my favorite of all of his many wonderful designs, and I am so excited it is getting an expansion. Um, adding a bit of whimsy because it adds airships to join the regular seafaring ships, new islands uh, to explore, and um, you know they don't really say what, but they talk about population tiles. I don't know exactly what that means. Uh, the original game was all about tiles having to do with inventions and whatnot, and, and goods to create inventions. What are population tiles? I don't know, but I must have it. Uh, Anno 1800, again, is absolutely stellar. A sadly very misunderstood game as well. You can go watch my original run-through. I'll talk about that in the final thoughts. But yeah, I am so there. And here's hoping, folks. Although I have my doubts, I was hoping maybe they'd finally put the solo mode that I demonstrated officially into the box, so it's not something you have to download. But looking at this here, it still says two to four players. So sadly, maybe the solo mode won't make it in the box. But come on, Cosmos! Hopefully it's not too late! And you can uh, make that available for everybody. But folks, I am totally there for Anno and um, speaking of expansions, I was really surprised to see we're going to be getting an expansion for Juicy Fruits, which is an excellent, excellent little engine building game. Well, yeah, I guess kind of more. Uh, see, actually, is there a picture here of the back of the box of this expansion? I think there is. And if we look at it, it's very, very cool. It is a game I did cover, I did a run-through for it, I'm pretty sure, where you've got a board full of tiles and you're sliding them around slider puzzle style, but turned into a very, very fun and interesting, uh, you know, puzzly little Euro game with a really wonderful, colorful pieces all about harvesting and selling fruit on the uh, Juicy Fruits. Mystic Island is what this new expansion is called. I didn't really look too much into it, because honestly, this is one of those games that I just kind of assumed, hey, yeah, it came out, it had its fans, it had its detractors. We'll probably never hear from it again, but oh my gosh, Juicy Fruits is back! And um, I'm very excited to see more, because I thought the original game was the bee's knees. Alrighty, now, uh, those are expansions. Let's talk about some actual games. I'm very interested in Alpina. Photograph animals in the Swiss National Park. Now, and unfortunately, there's almost nothing here in terms... I mean, there's not even... They don't even bother to say what is the mechanisms. Come on, board game publishers, it's not that hard to use BoardGameGeek properly and give us more information. Uh, you didn't even categorize it. Whatever. Anyway, um, can you uh, play more cards to score more points or use opportunity to deceive your opponents? Find the cards that allow you to strike a balance between these objectives and victory will be yours. That's vague. I don't even understand what that is. So normally, honestly, I would not... I would put this as a four thinking about it instead of a three like to have. Because... I'm really kind of... This is ridiculous. They couldn't even be bothered to tell us anything about this, other than what, granted, looks like a very, very pretty piece of art for the box cover. That looks nice. But I am bumping it up for one reason. Designer Luc Ramon, who I don't really know him that well, but I know one of his games... Um, uh, what is it? Oh, I've forgotten the name of it, though. Is it Sky Team? I believe it's Sky Team. Let's go look at... Uh, yes, Sky Team. Sky Team is 
absolutely bonkers phenomenal. Uh, for, it's going to be make a lot of people's top tens of the year. Uh, and I don't blame him at all. I mean, it could potentially make mine too. It's an amazing game. I also played his game Splitto, which was surprisingly good for a little abstract uh, card game. But, um, so, what's got next coming? Alpina? Yes, I've got to see it, because whatever follows Sky Team is very, very high on my wish list, because Sky Team was so amazing. Well done, Luke. Can't wait to see what you come up with next. And then finally, um, one more game, which again, there's not much information about it. Avanti! Figure out all the places where you're not going to find your destination. So again, almost nothing. Whoever from the publisher added this to the Board Game Geek database... Um, could not be bothered to list mechanisms, setting, family, anything, and that's too bad. Uh, and the, uh, the, the setting is, uh, is certainly interesting to me. We are traveling in a camper van with our friends, and we have to apparently do some kind of deduction to figure out where we're going by eliminating where we're not going, and whoever solves the puzzle the fastest. I have to admit, I'm really not that much into deductionist type games, which I'm assuming is what this is. But there's two things that make me very interested, which I would love to have this game right now because one road trip that's my wife's and my life right now so a game all about that is very very enticing again because the box art certainly looks uh, charming and inviting too i would like to go on a road trip with that dog in that van at that lake that seems wonderful but more importantly than the subject matter and the presentation is again as always folks the designers stefan dora and ralph zerlind now you know, these are these are not the big names in the industry like John D. Clare or Stefan Feld or whatnot, but these are important names as far as I'm concerned. Um, Stefan Dora has made one of the uh, greatest auction games of all time for sale. You know, that's like his big, you know, you know, epic masterpiece that everybody loves. But he's done a bunch of other games beside. And Ralph Zerlind, uh, probably his biggest game of all time was Finca, which is an... These are both brilliant, brilliant games. But honestly, I like it when Stefan and Ralph work together. Because doing that, they brought us um, Milestones. And uh, one other that I played, I say I looked it up on Ralph's list here, and I'm forgetting now at the end of all this. Oh, Pergamon. Pergamon and Milestones are both phenomenal games. Games that I have kept in my collection through many, many calls over the years. You can see they came out over a decade ago, but I think they're both amazing. So the two of them, they're both um, accomplished designers in their own right, but when they work together, they make magic. So making magic about a subject that is very near and dear to my heart, travel life on the road, yes, please. I want Ivanti, or at least I want to know more about it. Come on, Robinsberger, fill in the blanks for us. Jeez Louise. But anyway, folks, that is it. And boom. First of all, what am I most excited about? What has gone very high on my wish list? A double feature, Cascadia Rolling Rivers and Cascadia Rolling Hills. Um, so these are basically sequels to Cascadia, but um, I... I there's very little information about them now, other than to say these are rolling rights. Or not rolling rights, probably flipping fills, whatever. But I don't think, like so many games, like, you know, the Rajas, the Ganges, so many games get, oh, here's our rolling right version of the original game. These seem to be set kind of in the same milieu as Cascadia, but from what little information there is in the description, it sounds like they're pretty significantly different. Like they're not trying to recreate a uh, tile laying game necessarily. Maybe they are. They say there's actually 
Ultron grids. Unfortunately, there's no pictures of anything. The most important thing, it is the original designer of Cascadia, Randy Flynn, revisiting that. And I am willing to bet coming up with some very, very cool tweaks and twists on the core ideas. I mean, I recently played, Jen and I played Cascadia Landmarks. I'll be talking about it in the monthly roundup, but let me just tell you folks, oh my God, Cascadia Landmarks so elevates Cascadia that I am very, very excited for more Cascadia content right now. And 2024 is going to be great because we're going to be getting two new ones, Rolling Hills and Rolling Rivers. Hey, Rolling's in the name. These must be Rolling Rights, mustn't they? Um, I don't, they say they're mechanism flipping right. Then why are you calling them rolling? I don't know. doesn't matter. Whatever they are, I am going to be there. Cannot wait to see them. But that's not all. We've also got World Wonders, the Mundo Wonder Pack. Um, man, was I just about to say that World Wonders is another game that's flying under the radar? No, I just think not enough people have gotten it yet. I got an early copy back before Gen Con. There were some copies of Gen Con. I don't, I don't think it's gone wide yet, or people are only just starting to get their hands on World Wonders. But World Wonders, folks, is phenomenal. Maybe Arcane Wonders, the publisher's best game to date. No, that would still have to be Furnace. But probably in their top three greatest games they've ever published, World Wonders is a phenomenal tile-laying game with great table presence, these cool wooden chunky pieces that represent the wonders of the world you're building. I love the base game, and I love that this uh, new one, which there's no real pictures, is adding, what is it, nine new monuments to build, but more importantly, an entirely new mode, which adds more strategy to the scoring of monuments offering um, higher scores. Right, so it doesn't say what this new mode is, but it's a new different way to score, or maybe new ob way to function objectives. I don't know. World Wonders is fantastic. Uh, it's one of the games that, even though I've already played it, it's in the back of my RV right now because I wanted to play it more as we head into Mexico. That's how much I love the game. And so I'm excited that next year we're going to be getting even more World Wonders with the Mundo Wonder Pack. Okay, what else have we got here? Right. Oh, Gnome Hollow. As we headed south through San Diego the other day, I stopped off at the uh, uh, the offices of board game publisher The Op. And um, one of the things they showed me was a prototype for Gnome Hollow. This is going to be a very, very popular game next year. I think there are pictures of this, aren't there? Yes. Let's go on ahead and go to the images and um, you know try and get some images on screen. So, here's what you can't tell from this. This, this game... Actually, let me try and uh, get a bigger picture of the whole thing. Oh, this is some nice... So, this is a tile-laying game, hex tiles, but it's kind of like tile-laying uh, Carcassonne, but your only thing you're focusing on is the roads. Because you, you expand these roads, you put your little gnome workers on them to claim the roads, and you're trying to get the roads completely closed off in a loop. That's always these fairy rings that you're trying to make loops of. You know, kind of like the roads in Carcassonne where you're trying to make them, and then you score them. Same thing happens here. Um, but uh, what's really, really cool is... Um, while I've built this road and I've claimed it, I only have two gnomes that I can put on roads. And every turn, I can pick them up and move them to other roads, including roads that you have already finished. Uh, because a road, once it's finished, will provide resources uh, that you can harvest that you need to build more roads, right? But if I take one of my two precious gnomes that I'm using to hold on to these roads that I'm trying to complete to move them over to a road that was previously finished by me or you so I can get some resources, I'm opening up that road so somebody else can jump in. This seems really, really cool. Kind of Carcassonne turned into an area control game, focusing on the roads. So, the gameplay looked neat. I didn't get a chance to play it, but they talked about it, and it sounded really cool. But now let me come back to this, because 
the prototype, your player boards, you can't tell from this picture, but is festooned with magnets. Every single spot where you would put one of these little markers to represent the bonuses you're getting for completing roads has a magnet. So rather than what's becoming the norm these days, dual layered boards where um, you, know, you can like kind of slot things in, in this game, all of your pieces magnetically snap to all the places on the board, and it's Freaking awesome. We've seen a few magnets in a few games where, hey, let's put a, uh, you know, a rondelle that spins and so it holds in place, like Coloma and whatnot. But this one, it's got like a dozen magnets in every player's board. Now, this is the prototype. I don't know if this is actually going to make it into the final game. I could not quite get a straight answer on that, but I suspect it will. And I suspect it's really going to make people rethink... Right. What what represents top-tier production value? Uh, this, folks, I think is going to be a very, very exciting game. Um, it's... What was it? Oh, uh, Gnome Hollow. Another game about mushrooms. So many mushrooms. It's, a, it's, a, it's the mushroom renaissance in board games. Okay, what else have we got here? Right. Oh, man. River Valley Glassworks. Now, um, it's from publisher Allplay, and you know, formerly Board Game Tables. And uh, here's the important thing. Design team. Matt Riddle, Ben Pinchback, and Adam Hill, who they've been, you know, uh, uh, co-designing with on their more recent roll and rights. And I forgot, folks, Ben uh, Pinchback and Matt Riddle know how to make games that aren't roll and rights. They're going back. This is a uh, well. Again, it's really early. This is another 2024 game. I'm just here for those designers. Ever since Fleet, I've been so impressed by what they do. But I'm also really uh, intrigued by the subject matter um, because it sounds like this is you know, a game of anthropomorphized woodland creatures, which you can tell from the uh, art, which is just absolutely adorable. But they are trying to find um, beach glass that has washed up, become smooth, polished stones, and harvesting those as part of their engine-building Euro uh, economic management stuff. So that sounds really, really cool, especially because one of my wife's favorite things in the world to do is go... Uh, um, you know, scavenging on beaches, harvesting beach glass, which is like super smooth, beautiful, kind of frosted uh, glass. And this game talks about how, hey, it is a drafting game where we are trying to draft different colored pieces of this uh, washed up glass. Why won't you go back to the original page? Has my online just gone offline? Oh, man. How much battery do I have? Oh, okay. I'm almost done. Almost done. But anyway, so... The, the team sounds great, the uh, art looks great from the box cover, and the subject matter uh, plays these fine drafting glass from a market of river tiles. Um, this sounds really, really cool. So it had to go high on my wish list, the River Valley Glassworks. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. I saw all the, oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Join Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wayne, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Then, what have we got here? Oh, man. Striking Flint from designer John uh, Dubois 
who uh, did, he's done a bunch of games. He's like a little independent, uh, you know, the alter, the epitome of the indie board game publisher, designer, uh, just putting out, you know, games you can't see anywhere else. Last year, um, what was it? Uh, Ruel covered one of his games on the channel. And I can't remember the name of it. Oh, it was Heading Forward. If you haven't seen it, go watch Ruel's run-through of Heading Forward on the channel. It was fantastic. Such a smart game about the subject matter of recovering from traumatic brain injury, which John did in real life. But now, he's focusing on something else. It is a cooperative game that recreates the 1937 United Auto Workers strike in Flint, Michigan. Talk about timely. Talk about subject matter that games should be lifting up. Um, you know, in in a in a in a in a in a entertainment form where so often we are the managerial class trying to get as much as we can out of our workers. It's one of the most popular genres is worker placement. How about a game where we're the workers trying to fight for um, better representation and better quality of life? I am really excited about this. Plus, it's a cooperative game. It's, you know, a lot of times these are, oh, well, one person is the man trying to keep, and the other player is trying to fight for rights. Here we all work, um, you know, striking for a better tomorrow in Striking Flint. Tell me that doesn't sound amazing, folks. Why would you not put that on your wish list? John, I'm very excited to learn more as time goes on. Okay, uh, let's see. What else do we have? Oh, man. Uh, this is Wildlife Dice. This is going to be this is going to be uh, crowdfunding. I mean, maybe by the end of the year. It says 2013, but I don't think it's crowdfunded yet. But this is another one of those, hey, it's a little... Print and play, roll and write. Uh, you'll pay a few bucks on the crowdfunding page, and you'll get access to the PDFs. So you can print it out yourself. Uh, we've had a bunch of these over the last couple of years. I'm particularly excited about this one, though, because it's from designer Christoph uh, uh, Muta uh, Mutasic, who, man, um, his, uh, what is it? Uh, I can't think of the name now, but I did open it up because in case I forgot, um, Thrash and Roll, right. Thrash and Roll is one of the greatest dice worker placement games of all time. Even though Jen and I really did not like the subject matter of playing a hardcore thrash metal band being a manager, the gameplay was so good, we loved uh, Thrash and Roll. So I'm always interested in what Kristoff has to show. And this is, I think, the first time he's done it. And if you look, it looks like it's going to be a really high quality a looker of a roll and write trying to craft your, create your own wildlife park. So I am definitely interested in wildlife dice. And then finally, the last one, folks. Oh my gosh. Fire Flowers from P.O. Games and Anton Jakowski. I don't know either of them. These are, must be new up-and-comers. But they talk about how this is the next game in their... Oh, what do they call it? The... Um, had a name for it here. They're Clear Series, um, which are, uh, you know, I think the previous one was like a F-Zero inspired racing game. But anyway, this is a game. It's a micro game. I think it just comes with 36 cards, uh, 18 of them normal, 18 of them acrylic, transparent. And you're trying to lay out a field of firefighters, com combine and cl clear standard cards to win. Oh, it's the fireworks competition. We're making fireworks. So, okay, hence the fire flowers. And so, I love this idea of laying out cards you know, trying to get them to meld together, but then laying transparent cards on top of them to trigger scoring opportunities. Presumably, that sounds really, really cool. Plus, on top of it, it is a, a limited communication cooperative game. 
that really ratchets it up even higher. I wish there were some pictures of this because we got nothing other than a description, which really intrigues me. And uh, yeah, I love transparent cards. They are not done anywhere near enough. Have people not seen how awesome um, John Declare's Mystic Veil is? More new tricks to you know, or canvas? More cool ways to use transparent cards, please. And it looks like Fireflower is definitely going to join those ranks. Phew. Okay, folks, that is it. But oh man. Am I excited about Shackleton Base, A Journey to the Moon? Uh, because designer Fabio Lapiano teaming up with Nestore Mangone, I know this is going to be an awesome, you know, what has it got? Variable setup, worker placement, not much information yet. Uh, but, I mean, actually, no, there's a fair bit. Oh, there's more than I thought here. Well, folks... Um, this is already on my wish list because Fabio is phenomenal. Nestore always brings his A game as well. And so, and publisher Sorry We Are French is really rising in the ranks also. So I am excited about this for 2024. You'll expect to hear more about it in the uh, early New Year. On New Year's Day, I generally do a most anticipated games of the next year. I wouldn't be surprised if Shackleton Base, A Journey into the Moon, makes it on there. Folks, it's already on my wish list. There's a link for it down in the show notes if you want to put it on your wish list and subscribe so you'll learn more as more information comes to light. And then, okay, we've got an expansion for Raua Sinsimia. Okay, uh... I feel really bad. You know, I mentioned earlier that I brought along Wild Tiled West and did a run-through. I should have brought along my copy of Rua as well, because it's in my top 20 games of the year so far. I think it's phenomenal, and I kind of regret not having done a full run-through. Well, you know what? It's getting its first expansion. Actually, it says 2023, but I guess it's, that's probably wrong, and it'll really be 2024. Uh, what's it got? New divine entities with special powers that you can vie for the control over. Tiny creatures lurking in the shadow at the bottom of lakes. New cults are emerging. I don't know what all this means, but folks, if you go back to my July, what do you call it, uh, monthly roundup, I described how Raul works and why it is such an amazing game. But really, the designers uh, tell it all. Uh, Johannes Guppy and Theo Riviera. Uh, Theo is one of the co-designers of uh, the, um, the Loop, which is um, like the greatest pandemic-inspired co-op game not designed by Matt Leacock himself. The Loop is amazing. And his co-designer, uh, Johannes Guppy, uh, made one of my wife's 10 favorite games of the year far away. So, uh, Raua is phenomenal. I mean, heck, maybe when this expansion comes out, I'll get it and then I'll do a full proper run-through because it does deserves it. Great, great stuff. Oh, that is so much, folks. How much are we at? Oh, man, I've made it in under 20 minutes. Let's go. Uh, my most anticipated, of course, would be the latest from Stefan Feld, Nassau. Now, interestingly, this is the latest in his Queen Game City where he's revisiting old classics and putting a new look of paint on them and updating the mechanisms and often putting solo modes in and whatnot. And honestly, I have to admit, I completely forgot about his ancient pirate game, uh, Roman Pirates. I filmed it many, many years ago. I think I'm the only board game channel in existence that has covered every single game from Feld ever. You know, including Roman Pirates and the soccer game. Is, the, is Spielman Lucas going to get reprinted? Is that going to be a city game? I don't know. But anyway, I totally forgot about Roman Pirates, which is a very, it's like a gateway family game about pirates, um, you know, going around Tortuga, although now it's Nassau, I guess, um, trying to do piratey things on shore leave, basically, and trying to manage your pirate crews. Um, you know, how much time are they going to spend asleep? Because, you know, hey, they love the rum and all that. And it's coming back as Nassau. What will change? I don't know, but it's a Feld game, so I gotta know more about it. 
Okay, folks, and I had to come inside because the wind really started picking up for my last few entries, and you couldn't even hear me. So I'm just going to repeat these last ones. What was I just talking about? Nassau, Steffenfeld. Yeah, got to gotta check it out. Uh, next up, we've got two games coming from Garp Hill Games. Um, the Anarchy, which looks to be a roll-and-write sequel to Hadrian's Wall, which everybody loves. You know, one of the biggest, uh, crunchiest, and most loved spreadsheety, heavy uh, style, uh, you know, Flip and fill, roll and ripe, whatever you want to call them, out there. It's getting a sequel, The Anarchy. Uh, very, very cool. But I'm more interested, actually, in Scarabray, which is about uh, you know early human habitation of the Orkney Islands up in Scotland. It's a worker placement game. There's not that much information, but the description talks about how well you know you're harvesting resources and trying to take care of your people, the civilization. But it seems like there's a big focus on waste management. That after you know they've consumed all the stuff you made for them. You end up with detritus. You end up uh, building these mounds of midden, and uh, apparently that's a big part of the game. I don't know how, but a game that um, you know most euros they just deal with the consumption, but not the after effects. This seems like it really focuses on that, so that could be very very cool. Oh, this is really neat. In the footsteps of Marie Curie. Now I'm a bit uh, on the fence about it because it says it's very much a family weight gateway style game, so it might be too lightweight for me and Jen. But I want to check it out anyway because it's got a cube tower. Jen loves cube towers, and so do I. And I'm always looking forward to seeing a new way to uh, to to play with them. And um, you know, you know, the subject matter is obviously great about the early days of radiation research and Marie Curie, or maybe we're contemporaries. I'm not sure. But all I you had me at Cube Tower uh, in the footsteps of Marie Curie. And then oh, last one, Ostia. Pirates. Uh, Ostia is one of my great regrets of the last few years. I so want to check out this pick-up-and-deliver game set in the Mediterranean. Uh, I don't like pick-up-and-deliver, but this one looks really sharp because it's all Rondell-based, and it seems really, really neat. Um, I have to admit, I kind of forgot about it after I missed my window to get it, but... Maybe 2024 is the year because it's getting an expansion, and it's not about pi players pirating each other. It's instead that we're, uh, you know, unfurling our sails and going further than ever before, and having to run afoul of pirates. So we need to protect ourselves and prepare for that. And so that sounds like it could be a lot of fun too. Ostia pirates. And folks, I think that is going to be it. Let's get going. So many to talk about. Starting with, I think, the biggest one of all, Tiny Epic Game of Thrones. Who knew this was coming? Um, I think this is the first ever Tiny Epic, uh, you know, a franchise crossover. And I know some people are maybe burned out of Game of Thrones, but not me. Not, uh, not this guy. I thought the final season was great, and I will happily debate anybody down in the comments. Um, I've got some quibbles too, but anyway, let's talk about the game instead. Tiny Epic. Uh, so it's basically going to be Tiny Epic backstabbing politics and area control, right? I mean, obviously it's Game of Thrones. That's what it's got to be. But what's really interesting to me, because I don't know that I'd really be that interested in the gameplay as much as I always love Tiny Epic games, and I love Game of Thrones... But how are you going to do a game with negotiation and politics and all that stuff that you can play solo? It says right there on BoardGameGeek, it's solo compatible. And that's what gets me very interested, in addition to the subject matter. Okay, next up, Catmandu. 
and I should have mentioned this last week, but uh, because, uh, you know, talk about must-have, this is the first completely new design from my favorite designer of all time, Stefan Feld, since, um, uh, what's a couple of years ago when he put out Marrakesh. I mean, obviously, they're doing all those, uh, you know, remakes of his games and revisits and, and adding solo modes and whatnot, but a completely new design about going on an expedition to Nepal. There's not much in the way of descriptions, apparently, around you. You roll five dice, you use three of them, and you're focusing on, you know, trying to uh, catalog all the adventures you have along the way and there's actual travel. Not sure how it's going to work, but hey, it's Stefan Feld, so of course it's a must play for me. Oh boy, I'm really excited about Circle the Wagons Second Shot. Circle the Wagons, as far as I'm concerned, is by far the greatest game ever from Buttonshine. They've got a lot of really great games. Uh, and uh, basically, this is effectively a standalone slash expansion. It's 18 new cards added to a game that is already absolutely amazing. Um, you know, I, I think. I think uh, Circle of the Wagons is in my top 50 games of all time. Probably the lightest weight or the, certainly the smallest package of my highest of high games. So I am very excited for more content for Circle of the Wagons with the second shot. Either you can get it as a standalone or it can expand the base game. Okay, oh, Quacks of Quedlinburg, The Duel. Now I have to admit, I'm really on the outs. Most people love Quacks of Quedlinburg. I wasn't so crazy about it. Uh, I had some issues with it, but I can't deny it was a very sharply designed game, and now it's getting a two-player only sequel. And it sounds like, uh, from what I can read on Board Game Geek, a lot of the core game is there. A lot of it is still, you know, the bag building and push your luck and all that. But now there's a board where you are actually um, trying to manipulate the potential customers for your potions, trying to pull them to your stand and maybe away from other people's stands. I guess that's where the dual is. I don't know, but I am interested. And let's see, oh, flat iron. So this is from the design team, I think husband and wife, uh, behind the uh, Red Cathedral and this year's super duper hot, the White Castle. So anytime the two of them are putting a new design out, I am interested. This is interesting because it's a two-player only game. I don't know if this is the first time they've done that, uh, but it's about building the famous fat, flat iron building in New York. If you, uh, I mean, you can probably see right there, you, everybody recognizes that weird triangular building. And there's not much there other than um, the fact that it's two-player only and it's from them. So that's good enough for me. Epos, a Gentis game. I thought I'd heard the last of Gentis. That was a very, very sharp game published many, many years ago. Um, and I believe I heard somewhere else that it's getting a reprint, a new uh, deluxe version. Don't quote me on that. I could be wrong, but I've heard tell, I've heard rumors that Gentis it might be coming back. But who knows? Maybe I was actually hearing about Epos, which is effectively a Gentis sequel. It, Epos, a Gentis game. And here's what's interesting. It's from the designer of Gentis and more importantly, Arkwright. Everybody loves Arkwright. Um, well, not everybody because, oh my gosh, what a monster heavy game. But anyway, um, it's him. Was it Stephen Risthouse, I think? Uh, uh, you know, visiting the world of Gentist, but coming up with a new gameplay system and eight different scenarios you can play. And you can just play any of the scenarios standalone, or they can become a randomly generated campaign you can play through as well. So to me, that is a very, very interesting and enticing idea. So I'm definitely keen on that. Uh, Strato. This looks like a pretty straightforward abstract co-op game. There's very little explanation for what's going on. Something about playing cards to move other cards so they don't explode. I don't know, it's hard to say, why do I put it on the list then with so little information? The designer, Sophia Wagner. She made such a big splash a few years ago with, um, oh, what was it? Uh, oh, Noria. Uh, but even more so, I loved The Boldest. And then I have, we haven't seen much from her. She's doing it in smaller or littler games after those two, those two big heavy Euros, or medium weight Euros. And I mean, 
I, uh, Sophia, if she does something that's not a pure abstract, or at least if it's going to be an abstract, how about a co-op? Co-op abstract games are pretty rare. So that's really interesting to me. Let's check out Strato. Then we've got Rivages. So, this is from a new hot up-and-coming designer. Um, not many people played Wild Space, but a lot of people were very, very uh, intrigued by Tribes of the Wind. And so, this is him doing a new game. It's a roll and ride, or probably a flip and fill, uh, about um, exploring islands and whatnot. I'm not, there's not much more to say, but again, the design pedigree, and I'm always up for an interesting roll and ride. Two more, folks. Rock Festival. Not much to say here other than the subject matter and the fact that it is cooperative. That's cool. There's been a few different, you know, rock and roll bands or festival uh, come together a few years ago. It was one of my top tens of the year. But they're always competitive. I love the idea of working with Jen to put on a Woodstock-esque festival. That sounds really, really cool in managing the bands and getting the audience in, but working together. I don't even know how that works. It's probably going to be really interesting and unique. So Rock Festival makes my wish list. And then the last one, Gaia Project, Lost Fleet. Where'd this come from? I thought everybody, you know, you know they'd uh, moved on and just doubled down on Terra Mystica. But for my money, Gaia Project was always superior to Terra Mystica. And now that it looks like it's getting a big expansion with a bunch of new playable factions and all that, it looks like it's going to be even better. So, phew, that's it, folks. Uh, let's start with the big one. The one that everybody's going to be talking about in the coming weeks, uh, Heat, Heavy Rain. Yeah, baby. Um, you know, Heat, the critical darling and super smash hit that was incredibly impossible to get because it was sold out all year, is getting its first uh, big box expansion. It's called Heavy Rain. What does it do? It uh, increases the player count to seven. I think there's now an orange car, if I recall correctly. Adds two new maps, Japan and Mexico. Hey, how appropriate, uh, since I find myself in Mexico. It adds a new um, gameplay mechanism all about flooded tracks. Because in the heavy rain, um, when the water comes over the top, you've really got to manage your heat better than ever to be able to deal with you know um, wet tracks and flooding on the track. And then uh, it says, oh, just a ton of new cards. Uh, new upgrade cards, stress cards, championship cards, sponsorship cards. Heat cards, event cards, um, upgrade cards. Did I say that? Tons of new cards. I think mainly people want the uh, two new maps. They want that new system. And hey, I'm sure for some people, being able to go up to seven would be really, really great. So folks, if you love EAT, EAT Heavy Rain is coming. Um, and I think everybody's going to be very excited about that. So, oh, and then another one, Seven Empires. This really caught my attention. It's the next uh, game from Mac Gertz, you know, uh, Mr. Concordia. But, yo, long, long before Concordia, Mac was known predominantly for an older design of his called Imperial, which I have to admit is one of the only Mac Gertz games I've never played because it's kind of a, you know, an area domination, you know, uh, Euro war game. Well, anyway, Seven Empires is the sequel. They don't come right out and say it, but it sounds a lot like it's the sequel to Imperial, which means I don't know how I feel about it because I don't particularly want to play a game all about battle and area domination. But on the other hand, it's a Mac Gertz game. And here's the deal. Uh, it literally says on BoardGameGeek, this is Imperial without money and without the rondelle. So I'm going to assume that means he's bringing over the Concordia card system. Uh, for, But who knows? Maybe he's doing something completely new and different. Still, Matt Gertz is one of the best designers out there, and so I'm always interested. Even if it's a game that is not my cup of tea, I'm still 
I want to know more, and I've put seven empires on my wish list for now. Okay. Oh, and now, this is one you probably haven't heard of. Uh, Master uh, Sensei? This is from designer Daryl Chow. Um, and it's a game all about uh, practicing traditional Chinese herbal medicine. And the interesting thing is Daryl actually worked with a real-life sensei to ensure you know, accuracy and all of that. So I think that's really, really cool. But really, I'm putting it on the list, uh, not only because I'm interested in the subject matter, but because um, Daryl is a great designer. Oh, what was his game that I played? Remember, our trip is fantastic. And he's got several other games I'd really like to try, too. So. Um, the subject matter sounds great. The designer is great. Uh, Master Sinse. And then one more, folks. And now this one might make people mad, but I just think it's great. It's the Rebalanced Tapestry Civilization Pack. And for folks who don't know, uh, Tapestry is, as far as I'm concerned, the greatest civilization. Uh, no, the second greatest. Nations is still the best Civ game. And you know what? Age of Civilization might be pushing into my number two spot, but for now, uh, Tapestry is in my top three greatest Civ games of all time. And um, when it originally came out, uh, it said right there in the rulebook, by the way, folks, um, if, you, uh, if you could report your game results to us, we plan on continuing. I'm going to start climbing because this wall is just, I will not be stopped. So anyway, here we go. I'm, 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 don't worry. I'm, I'm fine, folks. I'm fine. Anyway, um, they said, look, we're going to continue trying to tweak and bounce because this is such a big, complex game, and we need your help. And so now that they have got the data from literally, if not tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of play sessions, they have been continually over the years tweaking the relative strengths and weaknesses of the different civilizations. And they're constantly making available to everybody. It's not like it's the game is broken in the original box, but all you've ever had to do is say, oh... For this, if you play this civilization, start with with six extra points to make up for the fact that it's a little bit weaker than the other ones. Well, they're done. It sounds like they've come up with their final tweaks and whatnot, and they are releasing a, uh, a an expansion pack that is just all the civilizations with the new tweaked numbers and whatnot on it. Not necessary at all. Um, it's easy enough just to, I mean, because all these tweaks, they're just, hey, as part of setup, do an extra little thing. All you need is a piece of paper or just, you know, a PDF, uh, which I've got, and I printed out and put it in my tapestry box. But um, for folks who need to have all that information on the cards themselves, well, they're releasing the new final, um, you know, tweaked and balanced. So that's it. First of all, key side. Richard Brees is back with a new key game, and I'm always up for that. Not much info as always, uh, but apparently this is a dice worker placement game where um, when I place my die in a port to say that's where my ship is going, other players can jump on my ship as well. So it's dice worker placement where everybody can use the same action. So that sounds really, really cool to me. Then there's Rajas of the Ganges, Cards and Karma. Inca and Marcus Brand are back. Haven't seen them for quite a while. There's a boat out there. Oh, we're going to get some waves, folks. That boat is going very quick. Jen is turning into the waves. Anyway, oh man, I really need to stop this, but we're almost done, honey pie. Raja Ganges, Cards and Karma. Um, this is basically kind of a card game version of Raja's of the Ganges. Oh, I'm starting to feel it. 
And um, it sounds really cool because each card that you can draft is two-sided. One is a die face, like the original Raj of the Ganges. The other is an action or a building or something like that. So you got to make tough choices. Do I want the die or do I want the thing on the other side of the card? Plus, apparently, threes um, can become multi-use co-workers, according to the description. That all sounds very, very cool. Um, then we've got clans and glory. Oh, this is exciting because the design team is Leo Colavini and Gabriel Babula. Uh, Bubola. Um, and I don't know really Gabrielle's work very well, except for the other time he um, collaborated with Leo Colavini, who is an old school designer, has been around a lot. Uh, they worked together a couple of years ago on Old London Bridge, which was phenomenal. One of the most sadly overlooked flying under the radar games that everybody should check out. And um, if this is their sequel from a different publisher this time, uh, Clans and Glory about um, a Scottish Highlands clan assembly and trying to get influence with the clans. I don't know. I just know Old London Bridge was phenomenal. So I'm excited about Clans and Glory. Then there is War Story. Occupied France. I need to switch hands. My arm is getting tired. All righty. What is this one? Oh, right. Dave Neal and Dave Thompson. Um, an interesting collaboration. Dave Neal uh, does a lot of narrative games. He did, oh, um, or actually, uh, many years ago when I did uh, Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective, I used one of his fan-made adventures so I wouldn't spoil the main game. His fan-made adventures went on to become real official expansions for the game. And then he's done a bunch of unlock games as well. So he's really strong in narrative and puzzle design. And he's teaming up with David Thompson, who, among Amongst other things, is the co-designer of Undaunted. So, an incredible, and you know, other ones, uh, you know, War Chest and several games. So, um, this is a great team up, and it's a cooperative narrative World War II game about um, fighting in the uh, French Resistance, doing espionage, spy stuff. It sounds really, really cool. And again, that is an amazing collaboration. Then another collaboration, Polaris has Simone Luciani, who is in my top ten favorite designers of all time, teaming up with Andrea uh, Manini, who. Uh, did several games, including Way of the Panda. Oh, Jen says, look, look, birds are coming. I'm going to try and pan so you can see the birds fly by um, in a second while I continue to talk. Uh, are they going? I can't see. Uh, my screen is almost completely... Oh, I think I just went by. Okay. So anyway, what was this? What is... Um, right. Oh, Andrea Manini did Way of the Panda. I thought Way of the Panda was pretty cool. But anyway, Polaris is a new game. It is an abstract constellation building game. Apparently on your turn, you either draw a card or play a card or score cards. Really simple, really straightforward. But the the description talks about making connections. So I'm hoping you lay these cards out to like um, make strings of constellations. There's no pictures yet, of course. Uh, this is way early, but hey, anything Simone Luciani does, I gotta check out. And Way of the Panda was really cool too. Okay, I know people are saying, what about Wormspan? What about Wormspan? Yes, yes, Wormspan. Everybody heard about Wormspan. I would love to play this for you. It's the sequel to Wingspan with a bunch of really cool new mechanisms like exploring instead of just uh, being able to claim territory for your dragons instead of birds. Um, baby dragons who can grow up. You Basically, your eggs can hatch now. There's a bunch of really cool ideas that, may hey, I'd love to see in uh, Wingspan someday. But you know what? Everybody knows about that. And don't worry, folks. It will be covered on the channel. I can't get my copy down here in Mexico, but uh, apparently um, it is easy to send copies to Australia. 
Australia. So Amy and Maggie have a copy. They'll be covering it later in the month, and I'll talk about it when I get out of Mexico in a few months. But Wormspan is a big deal. But actually, folks, more importantly, I have to revisit an entry from last month. Tapestry, Revised, Adjusted, Rebalanced Civilization Pack. I mentioned this last week, and I made a mistake. I said, oh, it's just a collection of all the little tweaks and whatnot that have been done over the years, you know, changing the starting um, values and whatnot. No, no. This is actually, a, a, in a lot of cases, big changes, radical redesigns to almost every single civilization in tapestry. So this is a lot more than what I said last week, and it got me so excited that, folks, I've already ordered my copy. 16 bucks plus 10 bucks for shipping means by the time I get back home in a few months, I cannot wait to bust this out and see how um, one of the best civilization games of all time has significantly changed and evolved. And that is it, folks. Okay, Jen is back at it once more. Um, we're about to head around the corner to Santa's pack at the rate she's going. And I've been a very, very lazy uh, co-paddler. So I'm going to put all this away. And if nothing, I've, yeah, I've been a backseat uh, paddler, basic, or driver. So anyway, folks, boom. There's the playlist. You know what to do. Everything I just talked about is there, or links down in the show notes. Also, um, you know, subscribe, back on Patreon, all the normal things. But folks, Jen has been very patient. I'm sure her arms are burning, and now mine are going to too. See you next week.